The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Cobb, and you're listening to Keep It A Strong Style. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style The ace of podcasts On the Social Suplex Podcast Network Jeremy Donovan here With the young boy Josh Smith on today's show, we'll be previewing the New Japan Road Shows, answering your questions, and covering all the latest news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing to the Social Suplex Podcast Network or to Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can get all the podcasts and columns over at socialsuplex.com. Make sure you check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Social Suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong style t-shirt. And if you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting SocialSuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Young boy, what's going on, man? Doing well, man. How are you? Doing pretty good, man. Ready to talk about some New Japan. We got a big week coming up here with four shows. Uh, but first of all, we had a very important question here from Reddit user Highest Fly Flow. He says, "Can we please get a progress report on the young boy's hair growth?" I remember during <laughs> G- I remember doing G one last year. He was trying to look like the Ace. Hope it looks more like the Ace and less like Naito's. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> funny question so um yeah the the funny thing is with my hair growth i suppose it kind of was more something that was born out of uh i don't i don't know what the word is exactly but like it it was just easier to stop getting haircuts essentially (laughs) (laughs) there wasn't necessarily like a a goal in mind and then uh it's kind of like taking this project of not cutting my hair has taken on a, a life of its own to where like I keep wanting to maybe cut it or do something, but I don't know what to do. Like I haven't had a haircut in over a year. Uh, last time I cut my hair was in December of 2018. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. December 2018. So we're coming up on 14 months. Seems like um, my hair is getting mad long. <laughs> like, yeah. I really, feel, I feel you're at like a Suji level right now. I, I think I've got longer hair than Suji at this point. In fact, you know what? I know I do. So my hair t- t- uh, tends to have a natural curl to it, similar to Suji. This weekend, I was uh, watching Days and Confused, hanging out with uh, the girlfriend, and she decided that she thought it would be a good idea to straighten my hair. Never, never had my hair straightened before. It's one of these gimmicks with the, the flat the iron. The, the flat iron. Mm. And l- let me tell you um, – 
I'm definitely not Naito, but I'm not the ace because we used that <laughs> flat iron and that shit did not look good. <laughs> oh, if you've man. ever seen uh, No Country for Old Men, I think I kind of looked like Javier Bardem's uh, killer uh, character, the, the guy going around blowing everybody's heads off with the uh, with the cow, the cow gun, the air gun. Bro, it looked terrible. <laughs> it looked terrible. Like I, I, I don't have straight hair for a reason, but uh. Yeah, my hair is like basically to it's past my shoulder blades in the back. Like so it's it's definitely touching like the upper portion of of my back. Uh yeah, it, it's long. The, the problem is I used to get my hair into like what they call the high fade side part and then I just stopped getting it cut so it's really uneven at this point. Like it's really long on top and in the back but on the sides it's a little shorter. So um I probably need to go to like an actual um stylist and have them uh help me out because I, i'm i'm looking kind of crazy right now for real i think you should get the, the shingo you know faded <laughs> on the sides get some red in there i i've thought about just shaving it off entirely like mm. literally like just young boy just style like, for real yeah <laughs> <laughs> but i'm you know i'm afraid to because while i was getting my uh my hair straightened you know, I, I was commenting about how far back my hairline has gone. And then my girlfriend was like, well, you know, that's not really where you have to worry. And I was like, what you mean? And then she was like, well, I didn't want to say anything, but I was straightening your hair. And on top, it's looking a little thin. Mm. And suddenly, I, suddenly, I, like images of Shawn Michaels, late, late 2000s, Shawn Michaels popped in my head, like long hair and you know, <laughs> balding on top. And I was like, oh, God. And uh yeah, I took some pictures. I looked at it. She she wasn't lying, and um, I, I got my feels for for real. Like I started getting start getting depressed about it. Like I hey, hey I, no need to get depressed. All you gotta do is call up Chris Jericho, man. <laughs> that that man got the hookup, man. That man I'll give you some of them plugs. You be straight. I, I, I started thinking about how we're in a constant state of decay, and why do I even do this show? And <laughs> what is the meaning of life, anyways? <laughs> Oh, and is the IWGP title even relevant on Naito? I don't know. These are the big burning questions that are in my in in my heart and mind at this point in time. But uh, no, I'm just playing. But uh, yeah, that's a that's the status update. Of my hair basically is long, and uh, I don't know what I'm doing. I need someone to help me. <laughs> so yeah, if we have any uh listeners that are stylists in the Tampa Bay area, why don't you hit us up and hook the young boy up? <laughs> yeah, hook me up for real, like with a free haircut. <laughs> I do have a man bun going right now. Jeremy can literally attest to it. It's in an actual bun. Yes, samurai style, looking like Samurai Jack. Oh, man, what a great show. (laughs) Uh, So uh, This is not a a style podcast. This is a Japanese New Japan pro wrestling podcast, so let's talk about that. Yeah, but (laughs) the the people that care about your hair, man, so we, we had to kick off with that. But yes, we do, have, <laughs> we do have a big week here, four straight shows in Cork and Hall, and it kicks off with the Tiger Hattori retirement show on February what? 19th. This guy, this guy already retired like 18 times this year. Dude, it's funny. I was talking to James, and we were talking about you know what's coming up this week. I was like, the Tiger retirement, uh, Tiger Hattori retirement show. He's like, what? The who? I was like, Tiger Hattori. <laughs> He's like... Didn't that man have like three retirement shows already? <laughs> oh man! So, yeah, I, I feel pretty confident we've already seen his retirement show many times. Hey, you know he might come back for Wrestle Dynasty too. So, 
<laughs> the, the final final show in you know New York. But it looks like this is the first of uh, four Cork and Hall shows this week, huh? Yeah, the first of four, February nineteenth, and it yeah, kicks off with the Tiger Tory retirement show. This show is going to kick off with Gabriel Kidd, Yota Suji, and Yuya Yamura taking on the Great Bash heel team of Togi Makabe, Tomi, Tomi Okahonma, and Toa Hanare. Uh, some some people might even call him the unofficial member of Great Bash Heel. True. So yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know. I don't have too many thoughts here. It's uh, you know, young lions against veterans. Yeah, I'm assuming Toa Hanare is going to hit a Toa bottom probably on Suji, kind of keep that rivalry going. Uh, yeah, that seems like a likely scenario. I mean, is there anything here to kind of like look out for, sink your teeth into? I mean, what are your thoughts? Well, honestly, I think the main thing is going to be the Suji Hanare interactions. They've kind of been having a rivalry this year and and having several singles matches have been paired off against each other. Uh, opposite sides on tag matches So I think Suji's going to be trying really hard To get the pinfall on Tor Hanare At the same time You're going to have Yumora and Gabriel, Kill, Gabriel Kidd Who are not going to want to be outshined by Suji You're going to be working hard to get falls on their own too Yeah I think um, You know Yu Yumora is looking really great You bring up a great point with uh, Tor Hanare and Yota Suji Sort of uh, solidifying their rivalry And then Gabriel Kidd you know, the newest young lion in the fold kind of trying to make a name for himself. So um, I, I don't expect this to be special, but those are kind of the the, the highlighted things there. I think obviously with Togi Makabe and Toa Hanari on one side of the field and then three young lines, it's an open shut case. What to expect here? We're looking at probably like a seven to nine minute good little opener with Toa Hanari or Togi Makabe picking up the win. All right. So next up, we have Rocky Romero, Risuke Taguchi, and Tiger Mask taking on the Chaos team of Sho, Will Ospreay, and Yo. So this is a preview match for the Junior Tag Team title match this week with the Mega Coaches versus Rapungi 3K. Yeah, we're kind of in an interesting period of the year. We just got through with the New Beginning Tour. Obviously, the anniversary show and New Japan Cup are, you know, uh, right on the, the near horizon, but... This is kind of like a little self-contained miniature tour with title matches and big stake matches. Um, I'm I'm kind of used to them doing where, for instance, they'd be building up this junior tag match for a bigger show, but it's going to be on, you know, this week on this set of uh, shows, on this Cork and Hall tour. So that's a little unique in in that I don't think they normally do that sort of thing. Right, because at this point, these are what the honor rising shows would be. Um, so yeah, no, mm. normally we're getting you know your, your Ring of Honor guys coming in some ROH title matches, nothing too serious. Maybe some multi man to set up like you mentioned, set up matches down the line for you know New Japan Cups, Sakura Genesis, you know for the bigger shows. But no honor rising here, so we're getting some big matches, some you know some rivalry, some story progression here. Yeah, and um, you know I've got some questions about that. I think once we get through these four nights, I've got a couple wrap up questions I'd like to ask you. But uh, as far as this match goes, uh, I am looking forward to the match between the Mega Coaches and uh, Rapungi 3K. And then you throw in uh, Will Ospreay and Tiger Mask, you know, just for, uh, you know, just just for a little added flavor. You've got a pretty good match on paper here. Yeah, expecting the, the Chaos team to get the win here. Somebody pinning Tiger Mask. Which one's the Chaos team? <laughs> <laughs> um, um, no, I'm just joking. <laughs> no, but I mean, um, Rocky's chaos. 
But yeah, he's with Team with Gucci and Tiger Mask. But yeah, I met Rapungi 3K and Osprey. No, obviously you did. <laughs> uh, at this point, though, it's almost like it's, does Chaos even exist? I mean, <laughs> seriously, yeah. Chaos teams with you know the home team guys all the time now. It's like just combine yeah. and just be one big faction. Yeah, at this point, it's like, is there a Taguchi Japan? Is there a Chaos? Like, you know, is there a Sekigun? They're all pretty much the same thing. Right. But uh, according to Taguchi, there is Taguchi Japan because he said Taguchi Japan is coming for all the titles. Yeah, that's what I heard. And, uh, you know, they got their eyes, uh, you know, focused and set on, you know, Rapongi 3K's belts here. So um, obviously, I don't see an obvious pin here, uh, a pin eater here on the Chaos side of things. So I'm expecting Tiger Mask to do the honors to probably Will Ospreay, although you could see him eat a 3K to, you know, uh, solidify Show and Yo on this night. So, right. yeah, I, I agree with you. I'm going with Chaos. But do you think there's any chance for a kind of banana peel upset win with Rocky or Taguchi pulling a fast one on Show or Yo to set up some heat for that title match? Yeah, I think there's definitely a chance of that. It's not... Uh, the most likely scenario, but it's a it's a possibility for sure. But I think I think if I'm playing the odds, you've got Tiger Mask on one side and Will Ospreay on the other side. That it's pretty pretty clear what they're probably going to do. Right. So next up, we have a, another six man tag here. We have Finn Juice, David Finley, and Juice Robinson teaming up with Yoshihashi to take on the Los Ingobernables de Japón team of Bushi, Evil, and Hiromu Takahashi. Hmm. What are we thinking here? Um, I don't know. What do they have plans for? You know, Finn Juice at this point it kind of feels like they're just treading water after dropping the belts. Right. Yeah. It seems like they're kind of on the back burner as we have the Golden Aces take on God. But I'm looking at the Lij team. We got two juniors there, and we got three heavyweights on the other side. So I have a feeling that Bushi is probably going to eat the pinfall here. Maybe by Finley or Juice to kind of get those guys some momentum and possibly a future tag team title match. I mean, that's definitely a possibility. You also have to kind of consider New Japan Cup is on the horizon. That's time where they like to heat up a guy like Yoshihashi. Um, But then at the same time, you have evil kind of lurking on the other side of things. You've got an obvious pin eater in Yoshihashi. You could even have Dave Finley, you know, eat the pin. I'm not so convinced that uh, the Finn Ju- that the Chaos team here of Dave Finley Juice or are they even Chaos? See, this is why it gets confusing <laughs> me. Yeah, yo, Finn Juice, they're their home team, so yeah, just yeah. I I think the Lij team could hypothetically pick up the win here. In fact, I'm probably gonna go that way. Yeah, I could see. Yeah, everything is evil on Finley or Yoshihashi, so that is one way to go. But I don't know. I just feel like Bushi's more of a pin eater here for me. That's yeah. That you bring up a good point. I guess what I'm wondering overall is I haven't taken a good look at all four nights, so I'm not sure what to expect. But I mean, are we going to be a see? Are we going to be seeing a reoccurrence of these six guys in some form or fashion? I mean, what is the significance of this match, or is it just a throwaway that's just happening on this night? You know? Yeah, I guess we'll get a bigger picture as we kind of run down the rest of these shows. Uh, but at this point, I mean, yeah, 
that's kind of i'm just wondering what the significance is at this point but uh, i'll take evil i suppose all right so the next up we got tag action here with uh, Tenkoji, Hiroshi Tenzon, Satoshi Kojima teaming up with Minobu Nakanishi and Yuji Nagata to take on the Suzuki Gun team of El Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Yeah, I'm not sure what to expect here. I mean, I don't expect a great match, but you've got the New Japan dads on one side and, you know, some of the heavy hitters of Suzuki Gun on the opposite end. Um, we did see a surprise uh, victory during new, uh, the new beginning in Osaka where the New Japan Dads did pick up a win there. So they could kind of continue that same trend here. There are, you know, there's a couple of juniors and some guys that could pick up losses on the Suzuki-Gun side. But if it was me booking this, I would probably have Suzuki-Gun go over, honestly. Yeah, same here. Um, yeah, we, you mentioned it. Surprise win Nakanishi's team got in Osaka. But yeah, facing up the Suzuki-Gun team here, you got Minoru Suzuki there. He's obviously a guy that could put away any of these, uh, you know, third-generation guys. Uh, Taichi's another guy that they've been pushing heavily. So I would expect yeah, Suzuki or Taichi to probably get the pin here. This is Nakanishi's kind of last run here in Cork and Hall, these last four shows. So I figured he's going to be kind of going out on the losing end probably this whole week here. So yeah, I'm, I'm going Suzuki-Gun also. After that, we have Colt Cabana, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Kotobushi and Toriyano teaming up to take on the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale, Jay White, Tamatonga, and Tangaloa. So, yeah, this is kind of a preview match here for the IWGP Tag Team title match that will be happening on later in the week with uh, the Golden Aces, Tanahashi and Ibushi against uh, Tamatonga, Tangaloa, Girls of Destiny. So, yeah, heating up that match there. Um, and, you know... Here you've got uh, another compilation tag team where you've got the Golden Aces teaming up with uh, Yano and Cabana, who no one's really talking about it, but they actually have a, a, a pretty good winning record as a tag team in New Japan at this current time. And I wouldn't be surprised if they were a future challenger down the line for whoever the tag team champions happen to be, you know, right, one yeah. or two months down the line. Yeah, Cole Cabana has the most dangerous finishing move in 2020, that <laughs> Superman pin. Yeah, we watched, uh, what was it, uh, NXT TakeOver last night. There seemed to be a lot of uh, people online, you know, complaining about, you know, finishes being kicked out of and, you know, too many big crazy maneuvers, not enough protection. And I was sitting there like, what are they talking about? Cole Cabana hits you with that Superman pin. It's a wrap. I don't care. (laughs) I don't care who you are. Keith Lee, Dominic Dijak, you know, Adam Cole, they all bow down to Cole. (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, definitely they could have Colt or Yano kind of pick up an upset win here to kind of set them up as contenders down the line. Um, I don't know. I feel like... I I feel like you kind of want to get some heat a little bit here and maybe heat up G.O.D. going into that tag title match and make them think they have a chance of beating Tanahashi and Ibushi. So maybe you right. have, you have a G.O.D. pin Cabana or Yano. Yeah, I don't see an obvious pin eater on the Bullet Club side. You can make an argument for, you know, Tangaloa of G.O.D., I suppose. But at the same time, um, you know, with them being the, the reigning champions, you might want to kind of protect them and, and, you know, build some credibility as their match with the Golden Aces is forthcoming. So with that being said, I think Toriyano is probably the obvious, 
you know, guy to take the loss on, on the, um, on the Sekigun side. Uh, but then again, you know, you never know. I mean, that look follies there. He could maybe get rolled up, although he doesn't get pinned that often. Um, I do think it's also interesting to note, you've got a collection of two guys together, Jay White and Bad Luck Folly, who have a history of teaming together. And if the current trend remains, you know, the same with them pairing up big stars from similar factions to, you know, kind of challenge for the titles, I think that Jay White and Bad Luck Folly are a team that you could see down the line challenging in the event that Tanahashi and Ibushi do end up picking up these belts. Yeah, that's definitely a possibility. I hope that's not the case, though. I'd rather see Jay White and Kenta than Jay White and Fale. Um, I, I agree with you, but I also, you know, Fale's not really doing anything. He's a guy that they push, you know, uh, and also if they're going to challenge unsuccessfully, he's a guy they can beat. So and it still kind of means something. So that's kind of why I see that being a possibility. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm going to take the Bull Club team on this one. Yeah, yeah I think that makes the most sense here. And then um, for the main event, we have the Tiger Hattori retirement match, the team of chaos, Hiroki Goto, Kazushiko Okada, and Tomohiro Ishii teaming up to take on LIJ, the team of Sonata, Shingo Takagi, and Tetsuya Naito. Yeah, this should be a really fun main event. We have six solid guys here, all great workers, great wrestlers. A lot of these guys have great chemistry with each other, so this should end up being a really Fun, a really great main event here for Tiger Torres' last matchup here. Yeah, you know, Tiger is such a uh, staple and, you know, seminal figure in the history of Pro Rezu and New Japan Pro Wrestling. Uh, you know, all the years that he spent as the senior referee and official for them. And then when he made his return in the, you know, late late 2000s, um, he, he's just a really important figure. You know, I think... If you're a fan of Western wrestling and you want to think similar figure, think like Earl Hebner, you know, that might be like a, a, a similar, you know, level of like reverence and respect people have when they talk about Tiger Hattori. So these guys that are involved in this match, I, I imagine they're going to do everything in their power to, to have a great main event to kind of honor him. Um, and I assume he is refereeing it, right? Yeah, yeah I would think so. <laughs> um, so with it being, being his last refereeing uh, assignment, you know, expect for these guys to really go out of the way to put on a great performance they've got a, an awesome lineup i mean goto okada ishii sonata shingo and naito uh yeah that's that that's a really really good looking match on paper yeah um so yeah no obvious pin eaters here we are kind of gearing up for the ishii shingo never title match that's happening the following night in the main event in cork and hall so definitely it's going to be a big focus here in this match. But besides that, you know, no obvious pin eater here. Yeah, I'm not sure which way they're going to go here. Do you want to heat uh, up Shingo going into the match? Or do you want to heat up Ishii? Uh, you could do something of that nature, but I, I'm i just going to stay safe here. Naito, Destino, and Goto, one, two, three, we're going home. Mm, that's an interesting call. I don't know. I feel like Ishii needs a little bit of steam going into that never title match. So I'm thinking Ishii brain buster on Sonata. You continue that story of Sonata kind of being the, the failure of the LIJ unit and not living up <laughs> <Failure>. to, <laughs> not living up to the standards of the other guys. No championships, not a lot of big wins. And you kind of continue this story of Sonata kind of, you know, treading water and it's being on the losing end of things. 
Okay. Well, we will see what happens there. So let's move on to the next night. We have on Thursday, February 20th, New Japan Road. <laughs> road, night one. <laughs> New Japan Road, night one. Uh, we open up with a singles uh, match, uh, young line action here as Gabriel Kidd takes on Yotsuji. Yeah, so, you know, over the last few tours, we've been seeing Gabriel Kidd kind of integrated into the Young Lion role here and getting into a lot of singles and tag matches here. And so it's going to be another opportunity for him to kind of prove himself here against Yota Suji, who's, you know, one of the senior active Young Lions in New Japan. And, you know, I've been liking what I've been seeing from Gabriel Kidd. You know, nothing has really been over the top for me, but he's definitely a solid young lion. I would like to see a little bit more fire in this matchup and a little bit more of what he can do, but this should be, you know, your typical fun opening young lion match here. Well, listeners of this show know how we feel about these young lions and how much we, uh, you know, praise and adore them and love to track and follow their progression. So uh, anytime we get a singles match, especially a first time singles match uh, like this, it's always very exciting. Um, traditionally speaking, I would say Yoda Suji is probably going to be the winner here. Gabriel Kidd is coming in from, you know, the outside. It's He's still fresh into his run as a young lion. But keep in mind that they've shown a tendency to sometimes elevate these L.A. Dojo young lions and give them uh, wins that they wouldn't normally have traditionally given to your standard Tokyo uh, Dojo guys. The other thing, too, is Gabriel Kidd is not, you know, a new wrestler by any means. He's got uh, years and years of you know, knowledge and experience on the independent uh, circuit already coming into his tenure with New Japan. So I wouldn't be surprised if hypothetically they did go with Gabriel Kidd, especially since it seems like they are putting emphasis on him. And also for some reason, if hypothetically they wanted to send a message to Suji, maybe, you know, it's time to progress. It's time to show us your hunger you know, send a message to him and, and mo- you know, maybe some tough love sort of thing, then they might go with Gabriel Kidd. But I'm going to stay safe here and go with Yoda Suji just because he is the longer tenured young lion. But I'm 50-50 on this one. I I really wouldn't be surprised if Gabriel Kidd beats him. Uh, I'm going Yota Suji also. You know, Gabriel Kidd, he did wrestle uh, Yamura on the last tour, and Yamura did beat him. It seems like Gabriel Kidd, he's not quite as high on the picking order as a Carl Fredericks or a Clark Connors or Alex Coughlin, it seems like Kid is going to be kind of like the, the pin eater, so to speak, on the L.A. Dojo side. So I'm expecting Suji to put him away here. I agree with you, and you, you bring up a great point. You know, if history tells us anything based off that Umora match, then that's probably the right call. But thinking back to that match he had with El Fantasma during New Beginning, they gave him a lot of offense that they just normally wouldn't have given to a young line in his situation. So maybe I'm still kind of thinking of that. Right. But, but uh, I mean, I could easily see Gabriel Kidd pulling a quote unquote upset here and beating Suji. Um, you know, right. like, like you mentioned, we've been seeing the LA Dojo guys. They've kind of dominated the rivalry between them and the New Japan Dojo. So they, they could have Gabriel Kidd, and that would be a big knockoff to knock off, you know, the senior guy here, you know, the kind of the head young lion. But, yeah, I'm going a safe bet here and going with uh, Suji. And, see, I don't see Suji as a head young lion. If if, if I'm being honest, of all the young lions in, in the L.A. Dojo, I even though I love Suji and I've liked his work, I kind of see him as, like, the least progressed. Am I wrong in that? Well, I mean, on the, the New Japan Dojo side, I mean, you just have him and Yumura that are the two active guys from that dojo. 
Um, I guess that's true. Yes. I guess that's true. You <laughs> so, know, I'm still kind of in this mindset where I'm thinking about like Narita and I'm thinking about, you know, Shooter and they're gone. Yeah. So by default, I mean, uh, Suji is kind of the head guy here on the, in the New Japan side. I'm soggy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I, I mean, I don't think he's been horrible or anything, but. As far it just, to, it just felt like for a long time he was progressing at such an alarming rate, and then for for a while now it's kind of felt like he's been stagnant to some degree. Like I haven't seen great strides from Suji as a character or performer, honestly. Yeah, I mean, compared to the LA Dojo guys, I mean, all those guys kind of blow him away. So I can see where well, you're coming I also from. Him to Yamura, they came in at the same time, and there was a period where I really thought Suji was the the guy over Yamura. But Yumora has gotten so well rounded. Like I'm like, man, like, is he like, you know, the next <clears throat> excuse me, the next Narita? Like with how how much that guy's progressed. So, um, to me, I want to see more from Suji. I think he's he offers a lot. He's got he brings a lot to the table. But I just want to see more. Yeah. Well, hopefully we'll get some of that here in this matchup here. Uh, the following match we have a multi man tag match. We have the Chaos team of Hiroki Goto. Will Ospreay and Yoshihashi teaming up with Yuya Yamura to take on the Suzuki Goon team of El Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. Yeah, so, you know, your classic Chaos Suzuki Goon matchup here. Um, I'm just kind of looking at, at the guys they have here. There's nothing that really elicits too much from me as far as like uh, consequences. Um, but there is, you know, the underlying story. We we we're going to talk about it later in the show. But you know, Will Osprey did just win the Rep Pro British Heavyweight Championship, and you do have Minoru Suzuki on the opposite end there, who is a longtime established, you know, uh, fan favorite and draw in England. This will be the first time that him and uh, you know, Will Ospreay on the are on the opposite sides of one another, especially with the fact that Osprey lifted the title from a stablemate. Same thing too with Taichi. Taichi and uh, and Will Ospreay are no strangers to one another. They battled for the Never title last year, uh, or the end of the year prior to that, actually. So, um, that kind there's kind of that like in the back of my mind. I don't know if that's even. I'm not saying that that's the way they're going to go. Right, I'm not but, trying but, to like, but it's an option though. It's something to kind of look out for, for sure. Right, and you also have the kind of underlying rivalry with Suzuki and Goto. They really haven't touched that in a while, but that was a hot rivalry at one point in time as well. That could be something maybe they lead for New Japan Cup if they wanted to tease that. Same same thing with Taichi and Goto, you know. Uh, I mean, the, the, the main thing here is even if hypothetically they don't build a story off of it, I'm, I'm down anytime we see Suzuki and Goto go head to head or Taichi and Goto, you know, for that matter. So, you know, there's that. But um, other than that, this pretty much just screams your pedestrian eight man tag or was it six man? Eight yeah, man. Six man tag. It's eight man. Uh, the chaos team's teaming up with you, Mora. So obviously mm. with the young line on their team, that's the, the clear pin no, eater there. Right. So yeah, one of the Suzuki Gun guys are going to pin uh, you, Mora. Yeah, I agree. You, is definitely going to eat the pin here. So I do wonder, um, the big thing to look out for is once Yumora loses, is there going to be some sort of post-match altercation with Osprey and, you know, any of these guys from Suzuki Goon or 
could Zack Sabre return and, you know, have a post-match angle with Will Ospreay fresh off the heels of, you know, that classic match they had at New Beginning and then this uh, match, I haven't seen it yet, but from all accounts was supposed to be a really great match, you know, in your call. So maybe they go a third time. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, that would definitely be, I would love to see that a third time. I haven't caught the Rev Pro match yet, but I've heard amazing things about it in the 4.75, the five-star range. So, yeah, they could easily kind of roll us out and do a third matchup here to kind of close off this rivalry over the Rev Pro British heavyweight title. Or, like you mentioned, we could see Suzuki or Taichi kind of step up. Because we, what we're kind of seeing here with, like, Suzuki and Suzuki-gun and the Moxley rivalry, where Moxley has defeated Archer and Suzuki and Sabre kind of stepped in there. So we could see Suzuki and Taichi step up against Osprey since he defeated Sabre. It's definitely a possibility. So the next match of the night, we have uh, the team of Great Bash Heel teaming up with Toa Hanare to take on the Chaos Six-Man Tag Team of Okada, Toriyano, and Colt Cabana. Yeah, so interesting little matchup here. Okada teaming up with Yano and Cabana. That should be quite the inter- interesting unit here. Um, I feel like the Okada, Yano, Cabana team is going to get the win. I feel like they're really going to want to heat up Yano and Cabana for something for that tag division. Plus, we did see uh, Cabana in New Japan Cup last year. They could be wanting right. to heat up Cabana as well to, uh, if he's going to be in New Japan Cup this year. Those are all possible things. Uh, you know, you got Okada on the one end. I think if you've got a team of Yano, Okada, and Cabana, they're probably going to win. Um, so that's just my thinking. I don't really have high expectations for this match. Even if they do some of those story elements, there's nothing here that's too enticing to me. Uh, to me, this is just your pedestrian six-man tag, honestly. Yeah, I, th- I think it's going to be big for Tohanara to get in the ring with Okada. I yes, th- I think he really he really needs to take advantage of this opportunity of this moment and really try to shine with Okada and kind of get some eyes on him here and really impress when he's in there with uh, you know the ace. Yeah, that is something to definitely look out for. If there's if nothing else, that's the one thing I would say I would keep my eyes out of out <laughs> my eyes out my eyes open for definitely. So then the following match, we have another multi-man tag match. We have the Tenkoji team of Hiroshi Tenzon and Satoshi Kojima teaming up with Nobu Nakanishi, Tiger Mask, and Yuji Nagata to take on Los Ingobernables de Japón, Bushi, Evo, Hiromu, Sonata, and Naito. So kind of the original team here without Shingo all back together. Yeah, and then, uh, you know, they took the New Japan dad power. They uh, upped it to the fifth dimension by adding Tiger Mask. <laughs> yes, grumpy so, Tiger Mask. So this uh, this match screams classic, right? Uh, maybe if we get, you know, Kojima and, uh, you know, Evil in there doing some strong style stuff. Well, I can <laughs> tell you this much. LIJ is definitely going over in this match, which... Uh, I think strengthens my our take that the previous night Nakanishi's team is probably losing there, and I think he's definitely going to be losing here. Yeah, probably. I'm going to guess maybe Tiger Mask eating the pin, probably from Hiromu. Yeah, that sounds likely. 
I mean, it could be anybody at this point, honestly. Right, yeah, but regardless, yeah, the LIJ team's going to win. After that, we have uh, six-man tag action. We have Finjuice. Oh, I'm sorry, eight-man tag action as Finjuice teams up with the Golden uh, the Golden Aces to take on the Bullet Club team, uh, Bad Luck Fale, Jay White, and G.O.D. Yeah, so once again, we got got uh, Fale and Jay White, so that could definitely be some foreshadowing here of this uh, future challenging team. So we have this tag team title match coming up, you know, towards the, um, it's the following night. It's the main event of night two of New Japan Road. So kind of the final interactions here to really kind of sell that match and get some heat here. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if hypothetically we went with Bullet Club the first night, maybe the... Uh, Seki Goon team picks up the win this this on this night to kind of like build them up as credible challengers. I mean, they could do it in reverse either way; doesn't matter to me. But um, maybe we see Tanahashi and Ibushi pick up a win here, maybe over Fale or like Tangaloa, something like that. Yeah, or they could do a twist and have uh, one of the Finjuice guys get the win over God and put them in line for uh, Tanahashi and Ibushi if they win the titles. Possibly. I mean, I'm not sure what they're doing with Finn Juice. Something about this almost screams like six or, you know, three-way, you know, tag team match at some point down the line, the way it's kind of booked. Like, it's kind of convoluted at this point. These right. guys are just treading water until they get another shot. Right. So that's why I, part of me thinks they might try and give them a little something here, a little taste here, and get them a pinfall here. Uh, Yeah. The other thing, too, is, you know, Jay White is coming off that big win over Sonata, and we kind of don't know what's next for him. He seems to be sort of just like locked up in these uh, multi-man bull club matches, and I'm wondering if they're going to do anything out of these matches or if this is just a holding period until his next move. Yeah, I think they might just uh, have Jay kind of sit still until New Japan Cup, or maybe he does something at the anniversary show. I don't know, but yeah, I mean, he could maybe pick up a win here and that kind of sets up his like first round opponent in the new Japan cup, something like that. Mm. Awesome. Well, that's going to bring us to the uh, semi main event and the first, is this the first title match of the tour? Yeah. Yeah. As the IWGP junior heavyweight tag team champions, Rapongi three K defend their titles against Rocky Romero and Ryuzuki Taguchi, the mega coaches. And I got to tell you, um, this is a match that I am actually very excited for. Uh, of everything that's on this tour, this is the first like match that actually has me very excited. And it's mainly based off of the uh, history that these two teams have with one another. Um, during the uh, Junior Tag League last year, um, towards the end of the year, they just they had an incredible tag team match against one another. It's one of the top matches of the entire tour. Uh, end tournament so I'm hoping that they can kind of recreate that chemistry and that magic and just deliver a really great tag team match yeah really looking forward to this match also you know Rocky Romero kind of had you know a big resurgent in 2019 with his uh, impressive performance in the best of super juniors and super junior tag league and like you mentioned the match that these two teams had in the super junior tag league was one of the you know better matches of that tournament so, yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. These guys have a lot of great chemistry, and obviously Rocky is the, you know, the coach of Rapungi 3K and is going to kind of know their plays. So it's going to be a lot of you know great back and forth. There should be some great chemistry here. 
And obviously with you know, Taguchi, there's going to be a lot of antics. So I think we're going to get a great mix of entertainment as well as great action. And it should be, you know, a great semi-main event here. I'm expecting this thing to kind of get to the four-star range. Yeah, I think that's definitely a possibility. But ultimately, I think the big question people are asking is, who's winning? Who's taking home the gold? And, um, you know, for me, at this period of time, it's very uh, normal for New Japan to kind of book a, I don't want to say a no-hoper, but someone like a Taguchi, someone like a Liger, someone who is incapable of actually picking up the title, but who is a big name and a credible challenger at, you know, at this junction of the year. And I think that that's what the mega coaches are for Rapongi 3K. They're kind of there to sort of make them look good and kind of add, you know, they're, they're not your, your typical title challengers that are going to uh, take the belts off them necessarily. That being said, there is some upside. If you put the titles on the mega coaches, new champions, new lifeblood, and, you know, new direction for the division, um, an actual established team, because up till now, these guys had only really teamed during the, uh, the junior tag league. And uh, that would, again, I know it's rehashing history, but give Rapongi 3k something to kind of chase after once again. Um, so there's definitely some upside if they do that. But I think a lot of fans who might be hoping for that are going to be disappointed. I think Rapongi 3k at the end of the day, this will be a second successful title defense for them in a row. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think Rapungi 3K will be retaining the IWGP Junior Tag Team titles here. Like we've talked about in the past, I really feel like this title run is a title run to um, you know solidify them as one of the greatest junior heavyweight tag teams in New Japan history. You know they've done a lot with these guys. You know they came back from excursion, won that Super Junior Tag League. You know kind of went undefeated in that little run there, and they've you know won the tag team tournament what three years in a row now. They've won the title multiple times, but the one thing they've been lacking is that long, definitive tag team title reign and, you know, a string of successful defenses, and that's kind of been the story here. So they, you know, knocked off Desperado and Kanemaru, so I think it's going to be really big here to knock off Rocky and Taguchi and kind of continue this title reign, and I think these guys are going to hold the belts uh, for majority of this year and really have that solid, definitive junior tag title run. You know, I would love to see it, and if they end up going that way, great. But I have no actual uh, faith that that's what they're planning to do or anything of that nature. Number one, there's not that many tag teams in the division to start with. Number two, um, you know, they already gave a very lengthy run to Canemar and Desperado that were kind of chalk-filled with uh, defenses, and – that wasn't that long ago. So I would kind of be surprised if they did something similar back to back. I'm not saying it's impossible, but they've kind of shown that they don't really care that much for this division to begin with. And I think that if they end up giving Rapongi 3K a solid three to four month title reign, they've done their job. You know, like they never right. promised us a, a lengthy title run. Like I said, I would love to see it and I hope they do. And I think if they do end up doing it, the best way to do that is they got to bring in other challengers. They got to have established more teams. So long term, that's probably nothing but a good thing. Right. But uh, I th- I I'm think, not. I'm not anticipating it. I think with the, with the timing of the schedule, they can get away with not having to defend the titles until after Best of Super Juniors. So maybe that's, they. Yeah, but I think ultimately, you know, New Japan is a company that length matters, but 
quality defenses matter more, you know, and you're right. There will be a period there in May and June where they don't really defend the titles probably, but at the same time, um, they're going to need some challengers. They're going to need some tag teams that they have to be if they are going to have a prolonged run, because I don't think anyone wants to see them and, you know, Kenemar and Desperado for the 18th million times. Please, please, <laughs> no, please, no. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so we'll see what happens here. But, yeah, I'm going to Punga 3K. I agree. Um, after that, we have the main event of the night. It is the never open weight title being defended by the reigning champion Shingo Takagi against his number one contender, Tomohiro Ishii. This should be a freaking incredible main event. We saw these guys can do in the G1 and now in this very intimate atmosphere of Cork and Hall. They're gonna these guys are gonna tear the roof down. I can I can picture it now. All the forearms, all the lariats, fighting spirits, you know, Germans being dropped on their heads and coming back and just getting each other's face. I think this is going to be epic. I think it's gonna be a strong style fight of the year candidate. I think it's gonna be a match of the year candidate. You know, you've got uh two guys here who are definitely adept at that style, that brawling, you know, uh, hoss style of wrestling in New Japan. But more so than that, they're fantastic wrestlers. You know, there's a lot of guys who could throw forearms and elbows and lariats and kicks and everything of that nature. But these guys know they have something that's a little bit different. They know how to read a situation. They know how to read the audience, read the, the tone of the match, and they know when to pick things up, when to slow things down how to get the maximum bang for their buck. Um, you know, look at the match they had at the G1 this past year. They never wrestled against one another, and they fit like, you know, a hand in a damn glove. So, I mean, the, I think that these two guys in particular are made for each other. Uh, I'm not saying that they are mandated to go out there and have a five-star classic every time they wrestle, but with the level of talents they are, I think it's going to be hard for them to, to go out and not have a classic, literally. That's how good both of them are. They're two of the top workers in the entire industry today and um i really and like i'm anticipating this match i can't wait the only shame is that it's happening in the main event of a cork and hall road to show and not on a bigger stage like a dominion-esque or even like a dantaku something of that nature right they definitely could have used this match here to kind of draw for maybe like a night one of dantaku or one of these other shows i mean this could, this could have happened on dominion's accord genesis um, but, you know, I'm not going to complain too much happening here. Right. Cork and Hall, the atmosphere is going to be electric. Both of these guys are amazing sellers, amazing storytellers within the ring. They, these guys, like you said, they know how to work. They, they know how to get the most out of every single thing they do. I think the crowd, they're just, they're just going to be just off, off the chain here and just, you know, going to be living and dying with every move these guys do. Um, and I think we're going to see a successful defense for the Dragon Shingo Takagi. Yeah, I, as much as I love Tomohiro Ishii, I mean, he's kind of in that similar vein as like Goto. I mean, he's ha held the title, what, five times now at this point. He is someone who's synonymous with the belt. Uh, a win for Shingo is a big deal, even though um, when, they wrestled, when they wrestled at the G1, Shingo beat him, correct? Right. So, I mean, Shingo already has a singles match victory over him, but to beat him for the title that is most synonymous at this point with Ishii in the division that he's kind of reigned over, that's a big deal. Uh, that really s solidifies things. Shingo has kind of made it known in his post-match uh, 
interviews that he plans to kind of make this the most relevant title that he plans to take on all challengers, all comers from all different weight classes. Um, with that being said, I, I don't think we've done a good enough job on this podcast over the last few weeks. We've touched on it, but I mean, there have been a slew of potential challengers that have come out of the woodworks in the past few weeks. Let's talk about that for a second. Yeah. So, you know, throughout the tours, we've had, you know, guys like Toa Hanare kind of coming out on commentary and challenging Shingo. We've had show who was watching that one that I think it was the, the Shingo Goto main event where he won the belt. Show was watching that match and, you know, we know the history between show and Shingo. Um, and also Ishii stepped up to him as well. So there's a lot of guys who kind of either have histories or just kind of want that never title kind of coming out of the woodworks here to line up and challenge Shingo. And was there nobody else? It felt like there might have been one other potential challenger that I'm, that we're forgetting. Mm, yeah. Show, yeah. Show Ishii and Tohanari are the three main that I'm remembering right now. Yeah. And you know, the interesting thing with Hanare during the last tour, you know, he came out, he made the declaration, started talking about how he wanted Shingo, everything of that nature. And then, um, you know, during the uh, multi-man match, it, when it was his his chance to kind of shine and show something, he got pinned in that match against Shingo, kind of sending him to the back of the pack, which I was a little disappointed by that because I would have liked for him to have a good showing and, you know, kind of uh, find a way where he could have a, a singles match, whether it was for the title or not against uh, Shingo. And I think that that's still something that could happen. But um, at the same time, I mean, you've got a show in the, in the woodworks and the lengthy feud and history between uh, show and Shingo is well documented. It's been talked about on this podcast. And I think that that might be the next title challenger down the line. Um, but, you know, Shingo's got to get past Ishii. Definitely. And, you know, it will be a big deal also for Shingo to kind of retain here just because it's the never open weight title. And it's one of those belts that usually flips hands very frequently. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty big deal when a champion can, you know, rattle off more than one defense. We saw Kenta last year had a, had a couple uh, successful defenses, and that was kind of a big deal because not many champions do that. Never titles pretty much a hot potato. So if Shingo can kind of be one of the first guys to have a really long run with that, that would kind of solidify him as, you know, one of the, you know, best never champions in history. Yeah, you know, Shingo got a lot of flack uh, to a certain degree when he was in Dragon Gate. You know, there was a there was a lot of criticism about him wrestling a different style from many of the guys that were on the uh, roster. And then also just, you know, the stranglehold he kind of had at the top of the company at various points, especially when he was the champion. But I mean, I would love to see him have a similar type of run that he had when he was the open the dream gate champion. I mean, you know, lengthy run. I think he was champion for like something like 150 days or something of that nature. And he, you know, and actually he had, uh, I'm looking here. He had multiple, you know, lengthy runs, 150 days here, 180 days there, 140 days there. So, I mean, you know, when he was champion in Dragon Gate, he was sort of like, I don't want to say Brock Lesnar-esque, but almost to that degree, to that degree. Like he was a bully. He was like the boss and he would beat guys up. And, um, you know, up till now, the Never Division has sort of just been this Hoss battle style type of, you know, uh, championship. I would like the, them to kind of experiment with bringing in more juniors. Uh, I know we talked about that last year with uh, 
you know, what they did with Will Ospreay, but that essentially turned into Will Ospreay just kind of competing as a heavyweight. Right. I would like, I would like to see other juniors sort of step up to the plate and they could kind of play with that similar dynamic that they had during the best of super juniors last year during, uh, you know, Shingo's time in dragon gate where you have guys from underneath sort of coming up and trying to, um, you know, see challenge themselves on that top level against a guy like Shingo. So, that's something I would like to see. There's also a lot of heavyweight uh, contenders. Um, I would like to see him kind of revolutionate, uh, revolutionize that uh, title and turn it into more of an actual open weight sort of division. Definitely. Yeah, that I'm definitely down for that. And yeah, I'm hoping, yeah, show was kind of the first guy to kick things off with that and being the first, you know, upcoming challenger. So yeah, I'm going with Shingo Takagi after a crazy battle, hitting that last of the dragon on Ishii to retain. Awesome. So um, we'll move on to night two of New Japan Road. Uh, opening match, Gabriel Kidd and Tiger Mask taking on Yota Suji and Yuya Yamura. Yeah, so very interesting here. Usually Yamura is teaming up with Tiger Mask. They've kind of established that, um, you know, relationship there with Tiger Mask kind of being the senpai for Yuya So interesting that they're on opposite sides here. I figure Tiger Mask is going to want to, you know, teach Yamura some more lessons here in this tag match. Um, and I'm yeah. and I'm thinking the uh, the Suji Yamura team is gonna win, getting the uh, pin over Gabriel Kidd. Um, it's definitely a possibility, but I think when you, yeah, you know what, I I'll I'll roll with you. Well, There's uh, a part of me that, yeah, now yeah, I, I see I see what you're thinking here. Yeah, Tiger Mask could, yeah, could probably end up getting the fall here and pinning Yamura. Yeah, that's what I was sort of thinking yeah. there. At the same time, I wouldn't be surprised if they do the thing where, you know what? No. Yeah, I'm I'm, I, I'm flipping. I'm flipping also. I have, I have to take Gabriel Kidd and Tiger Mask. Yeah. Like, there's a part of me that started to think, you know, maybe they do the thing where Gabriel Kidd demands he gets tagged in. Tiger Mask has it well in hand. He tags in Gabriel Kidd. Gabriel Kidd shows fire. He ends up losing while Tiger Mask gets held held on the outside. That's sort of like a, a, a trope when it comes to these uh, – Young line matches, but I can't imagine two, these two young lines upending Tiger Mask in a yeah, tag. Yeah, I, I don't know what I was thinking there. Yeah, Tiger Driver all day on Yamura. Yeah, and um, I don't. There's not too much to really look out for, but you you did a good job reca- recapping the uh, relationship between Tiger Mask and Yamura. So I look for Grumpy Tiger Mask to lay in some definite, you know, hard shots and blows to both these guys. So next up, we have an eight-man tag for Pungi 3K, Sho and Yo teaming up with Finn Juice, David Finley, and Juice Robinson to take on the Suzuki-Gun team of El Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. So once again, we're seeing this eight-man unit of Suzuki-Gun, the same four guys, Despi, Suzuki, Taichi, and Kanemaru in another eight-man tag here in this tour. Yeah, I mean, there's just certain things that you're noticing that are patterns. That team, obviously Finn Juice, it's not like Finn Juice are doing anything super defining on this tour. Neither are the Suzuki Goon guys. They're kind of just floating around. So I'm sort of looking to see if there's any real significance or if these are just your standard undercard matches. Obviously, if hypothetically Rapungi 3K go into this match as the retaining champions, there's always that rivalry between them and uh, Desperado and Kanemaru to sort of look out for. But other than that, um, not much to me that that's really sticking out here. Yeah, that's that's the main thing here. Whether Sho and Yo come in as champions or not, they can kind of rehash that rivalry with Desperado and Kanemaru 
and a win over Punky 3K, whether the champs or not, would kind of catapult uh, Despy and Kanemaru to that number one contender spot. Um, so they could always do that. And then there's always Finn Juice. Uh, like we mentioned, we're not quite sure what, they, what they're doing with Finn Juice. Like, are they going to try and heat them up for a potential tag title rematch? You could have Finn Juice pin a Kanemaru Desperado and kind of get them some wins leading into um, a future tag title match. Well, keep in mind as you're listening, these aren't uh, – when we say we're not sure what's going on with these guys, it's not really an indictment on New Japan. I mean, the New Beginning Tour just ended. You know, this is kind of a holding tour. So it's not like there's been a lot of time for them to really define any sort of major, you know, matches or rivalries. I expect to see a bit of that um, on this tour. And ultimately, anything that they built to is being paid off in these major title matches and main events, essentially. Yeah. But with that being the case, I'm going to take uh, – I don't know. I, I think I'll probably take Rapungi 3K and, uh, and Finn Juice. Yeah, I'm just going to go with that because I really don't want Despy and Kanemaru to get a win here and to see another Rapungi 3K, Despy, Kanemaru match. So, yeah, I'm going to go Rapungi 3K and Finn Juice. After that, we have Great Bash Heel, uh, Togimakube and Tomoki Hanma teaming with Toa Hanari once again to take on the cast team of Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi. Um, yeah. I, at this point, I suppose this could be pretty good on paper, but uh, I don't have high expectations, and I'm expecting the cast team to pick up a win. Yeah, I think the key thing to look out here is going to be the interactions between Hanare and Ishii. It's been quite some time since those two have been on opposite sides and really kind of locked horns. You're going to know the rivalry they had, especially as Toro Hanare was kind of transitioning from Young Lion to just, you know, full-time roster member so it's gonna be interesting to see if they kind of repick that rivalry up and um see what once again hanare really has a chance to shine here against guys like goto ishii and yoshihashi i think hanare once again it's another opportunity for him to really impress especially if he gets in there with ishii let's be real here anytime you've got hanare teaming with gbh at this point he's the only thing that you really want to look out for (laughs) (laughs) right yeah (laughs) <laughs> I don't see them going with the, that, uh, you know, that awesome um, Togi Makabe IWGP title run anytime soon or anything of that nature. I don't see them heating up Hanma for any sort of major title challenges. So, yeah, I mean, at this point, Hanare is the only guy that even remotely moves and has like has any interest for me on that side of things. Right. Yeah. Don't if you want if you want to look out anything for Makabe, count how many bumps he takes in the match. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, after that, we've got uh, the New Japan Dads, Tenzan, Kojima, Nakanishi, and Nagata teaming up once again to take on, uh, interesting enough, interestingly enough, the the Bullet Club team of Bad Luck Fale, Gato, Jado, and Jay White. Yeah, so definitely not expecting much from this match. Anytime you got Gato and Jado in the ring, it's it's not going to be too pretty. And then also you got you know Nakanishi and Tenzan on the other side who are also kind of rough i'm hoping to keep this one um kind of short here and um, also you know give some shine to the new japan dads and um yeah I, there, there's a nostalgia element here but and you know hats off to them you know they, they've got a lot of guys that probably want to work together one last time before nakanishi rides off to the sunset but ultimately 
this on paper looks to me to have the potential to be the worst match of the tour. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I think it's very clear Jay White's going to pick up a, a win over probably Nakanishi. He's probably right. going to. You, you, you don't think Gato or Jado could potentially eat a fall here? <laughs> they could. I just, I'm like, well, Jay White's, if, if, uh, if it's me, I'm booking the New Japan dads to lose every night. Although, you know, New Japan does weird stuff like that. They'll give them, like, one night where they win. Just one, yeah. you know. And this, if they do, this might be that night. Yeah, I, I'm call, but, I'm calling Koji Cutter on Jado here for the win for the New Japan Dads. Uh, no, I think Jay White is hitting a Blade Runner on Nakanishi. Mm, all right, we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens there. Then, for uh, heat. <laughs> for heat. Then next up, we have a never-open-weight six-man tag team title match as the current champions... Los Ingramanables de Japón, Bushi, Evil, and Shingo Takagi defend the titles against Taguchi Japan of Colt Cabana, Risuke Taguchi, and Toroyanu. I was going to uh, cut you off while you are saying all that, but uh, I figured you have been cut off enough on other podcasts recently. <laughs> so I'll let, you get, I'll let you get through with your sentence. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this uh, never open weight six-man tag team match, this is a big deal here. Big stakes involved. Yeah, you know, LIJ, they're a solid unit. And, you know, they're once again, the never open weight titles are much like the never titles where they're, they're kind of a hot potato and bounce back and forth. And LIJ seems to be kind of wanting to be that one team that kind of holds the belt for a while. And not just hold the belt for a while, but have multiple defenses. You know, we've seen when, you know, uh, Cabana and who was it? Cabana, Makabe, and... Gucci was at the last champions before I can't even yeah. remember now but yeah they held the belts like most of the year but they didn't have many defenses and this year we're seeing you know, they the, actually had like three or four though which was kind of like a lot it, we just didn't even like register it at all right. but they were very spread out though so it's like they were they yeah. were super spread out and so far here we're getting you know some frequent defenses from this LIJ team and they're in action a lot together we saw them all throughout that Fantastica Mania tour in several bouts, so they're really establishing this unit of Bushi, Evil, and Shingo here. Yeah, well, you know, uh, if your theory is to be believed about Sonata sort of being the odd man out, um, you know, the fact that Bushi, Evil, and Shingo, and Hiromu, and Naito all still hold gold at this point in time of the year, and Sonata, you know, is coming off a big loss, there might be some uh, smoke to that fire, but... uh I do wonder if them having so many frequent defenses, especially with such a uh, volatile title like this, might spell disaster for them, meaning they might be dropping the titles fairly quickly. Um, you know, on first glance, you look at the team of Cabana, Taguchi, and Yano, and you think, no, nah, there's no way they could win. But then they're they're just chaotic enough to where they might pick up a win here. Yeah, we could easily get low blow roll up from Cabana. We could get, I mean, from Yano, we could get the Superman pin from Cabana. Taguchi also has sure, a bunch of anchors. Yeah, the Bombaye into uh, Superman pin. Dodon. Yeah, Dodon. I mean, yeah, Taguchi could easily pin Bushi here. Yeah, um, I'm going to go with LIJ with the caveat that I really don't know who's winning here. I like the idea of Shingo being double never champion, <laughs> but... uh I wouldn't be surprised if Cabana, Taguchi, and Yano pull up the uh, upset here, honestly. Yeah, I'm also going with LIJ as well. But yeah, just like you said, I wouldn't be surprised if this Taguchi Japan team wins, especially since we're 
thinking they're going to lose the junior tag title match um, early on in the tour. Plus, there was no title changes during the New Beginning tour. Right? Right. Am I right on that? Yeah, pretty well, much. It's just that one show. No, every, I think everybody retained. because well, well, Shingo defeated Goto, right? And was that Sapporo? That Shingo got the Yes. Movie. Yeah, he did. Yes. But okay. On, but on Osaka, though, there was no uh, title changes. Yep. Okay. So, I mean, uh, I'm still going to go with, with uh, LIJ, but I'm like 51, 49%. You know? <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, speaking of title changes, I think we're going to get one here in the main event when we have the IWGP tag team titles on the line. Girls of Destiny, Tamatanga, Tangaloa defend against the Golden Aces, Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi. Yeah, uh, I mean, this was something that was supposed to be built up during the um, New Beginning in uh, USA tour. Obviously, with uh, Kota Ibushi dropping out due to you know, his uh, influenza uh, illness, they were unable to kind of build up that entire thing. They ended up kind of like called an audible G.O.D. uplifted the belts off of Finjuice. And, you know, during New Beginning Tour, we ended up with this uh, title challenge. So here we are. Um, I I still kind of feel weird about this whole thing because Finjuice sort of got like ousted so strangely. And I don't know, the booking just seems kind of, like left field, I really thought we were getting Finn Juice against the Golden Aces, especially with the way that they teased it at uh, New Year's Dash. And we, we we still probably will get something like that down the line. But, uh, I mean, Tanahashi and Ibushi are big, big stars. I can't imagine that two guys of their caliber wouldn't be winning these belts unless something major in the storyline happens where they get cost the titles and maybe even some level of a, uh, you know, I don't, I don't know what the word is, but basically that there's like some sort of friction between the two of them coming out of this match, which could happen. But uh, my guess is, you know, Tanahashi and Ibushi are getting these belts. Yeah, I'm also going with Tanahashi and Ibushi. We've kind of talked about it on the show now for several weeks. What a great idea it is to kind of put these two mega stars together who aren't really doing anything right now in any of the title pictures, putting them together to heat up these tag titles. And with Tanahashi and Ibushi as the tag champs, you can main event some tours with Tanahashi and Ibushi in the main events, defending the tag team titles, especially if they're going to go against, you know, mega teams like dangerous techers and Jay white and bad luck Fale and just some of these other super teams, Goto and Ishii. Some other of these, you know, super combos, you know, Okada, Will Ospreay, I don't know if we'll see that, but there's all these kind of mega teams that you can kind of put together to have Tanahashi and Ibushi defend against to main event on some of these upcoming tours. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah, going with Tanahashi and Ibushi all the way. You think this match can be any good? Um... I think it'll be okay. I think they they can get a lot of heat here with G.O.D. I'm guessing Master Heater. Jada will be out there. There'll be some kendo shots. There might be a ref bump, some shenanigans, some you know false finishes, getting some real heat on G.O.D. for Tanahashi and Ibushi to kind of come from behind and kind of get the big win here. So, uh, honestly, I'm expecting maybe like three and a half range. Yeah, I would, I would pretty much agree with that. 
So now we're going on to the final show of the week, the Manabu Nakanishi retirement event. I uh, looked up on a thesaurus. I think the word I was looking for was contention. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Um, yeah. So uh, we have the uh, Nakanishi retirement event. Um, starting off the night, Gabriel Kidd, Tiger Mask, taking on uh, Yotasuji and Yuya Yamura. Yeah, so a rematch from night two of New Japan Road, that opening match there. So it's one of those things, like, is it are they going to try and do that back-and-forth thing where, you know, the first night Gabriel Kidd tries to get the fall himself and they pin him, and then this night Tiger Mask is like, we're not doing that, and I'm going to kind of get the fall here. Let me show you how it's done, kid. Yeah, or you can just have Tiger Mask just beat these guys two nights in a row. Tiger Mask is going to whoop these boys. <laughs> night, night one, he's going to beat up Imura. Night two, he's going to beat up Suji. That's what's happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the, the safe bet here would, to, would be Tiger Mask once again getting a pinfall on one of these young lines here. Probably Imura just to kind of continue that story and their relationship there. I, I honestly like the story that you painted where you know, Gabriel Kidd comes up short one night and then Tiger Mask sort of, you know, teaches him the ropes the next night. That I think that's a possibility, but I I mean, if I'm a bet man, I'm going Tiger Mask. Yeah. So in the following match, we have Cole Cabana, Rocky Romero, Risuke Taguchi, and Tori Yanu once again take on this this four-man unit here from Suzuki Goon, El Desperado, Minoru Suzuki, Taichi, and Yoshinobu Kanemaru. I'll say this much. Um I don't know what's going on with the Suzuki Goon team here. They're teaming up every night and taking on entirely different units. Maybe they're playing some sort of like role where they're just, you know, kind of floating around and maybe trying to uh, heat up other teams along the tour. Maybe that maybe this is just inconsequential. But if they are happening to win every night, which they might be, I don't know. But if they end up winning like each night, this might be playing into the next tour to kind of, uh, you know, get them ready for like the anniversary show or the New Japan Cup, something of that nature. Yeah. And, and this match also could be interesting depending on what happens with the Taguchi Japan title matches. I mean, potentially. This eight-man team here could be walking in with the junior tag titles and the never six-man tag titles. So if Suzuki Gun gets a win here, they could set up a six-man title match or a junior tag title match here. Uh, but we predicted with these guys not who, who who would be walking in with. Oh, you're talking about uh, the mega coaches, right? Yeah, Rocky and Taguchi could be the junior tag champs. And see, I'm thinking of it in a way to where like that's not even fathomable. So. <laughs> I was, like, confused. I'm like, Suzuki? I was like, Rapong 3K is not in this match. Like, <laughs> right. That's, that's why I said potentially they could, but we predicted these guys to come in without any titles here. Well, so, we, we know Taguchi Japan's coming for all the gold. That, that's true. So we'll, we'll see what happens here. But, yeah, I, I'm going to go Suzuki Goon getting the win in this match here. I mean, I'll I'll do the same thing. I mean, I don't know how important these Suzuki matches even will be, but yeah, uh, I'll agree with you. So next up, Rapungi 3K, Sho and Yo and Toa Hanare taking on the LIJ team of Bushi, Hiromu, and Sanada. Yeah, I think uh, Hanare was like, "Please team me up with somebody that can move. <laughs> we'll take some bumps. Someone who has some <laughs> some, some life in them." <laughs> And oh like, all right, all right, kid, we'll give you Rapongi 3K. And uh, yeah, so ultimately, though, I think he's there to eat a pin. 
Yeah, yep, yeah, Sonata could pin him, or you could have Bushi and Hiromu get a win here to set up a Rapungi 3K versus Bushi and Hiromu tag title match. I guess you could. Um, these teams have history with one another, so it's it's not like they've never done that before. But at the same time, Hiromu's the junior champion. I'm kind of wondering how preoccupied he'll be with that sort of thing. Well, remember, we, same time. we talked about the theme of everybody wanting to be double champions. Maybe just like Shingo's double never, maybe Hiromu wants to be double junior champion. That's true. Plus, there's the fact that Sho seems like he might be on tap to be the next challenger for Shingo. Um, that that might play into this. What if uh, Show and Yo? What if like Show picks up a win over Bushi and then he gets on the mic and says something to Shingo? It is the final night of this mini tour. I kind of see that as being something a little more realistic to keep your eyes open for. But the most realistic thing to me is that this is just a throwaway match, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and Hanari's doing a job. That's kind of what I think is happening. Yeah, probably the the safe bet here, is Sonata. Skull and Moonsault on Toa Hanara here. Yeah, but uh, I wouldn't, I mean, I would like it if Sho maybe placed a uh, challenge out to Shingo off of this, or, you know, maybe Bushi and Hiromu get heated up for a, a junior title. I mean, there's, there's, those are some cool uh, directions they could definitely go in. Yeah. After that, we have the um, tag team match between Finn Juice and Great Bash Heel teaming up to take on the Bull Club team of Bad Luck Folly, Jay White, and G.O.D. I'm assuming at this point, um, most likely G.O.D. have dropped the belts to the um, Golden Aces. So, with that being the case, I mean, what are we thinking here? Uh, I'm thinking they they might want to get, you know, we've seen Finn Juice together a lot on this tour. I think you, you might want Finn Juice to kind of get some revenge here. And get a win over G.O.D. to set them up for a tag title match against Skull and Aces. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's a fine way to go with things. I, I don't see anything too consequential here. Right, I mean, uh, but the one thing is they, they, all do, they do have Hanma on their team. And that, that, that screams pin eater. He could easily, you know, eat a Blade Runner, eat a ape shit, gun stun, bad luck fall here and get, and get pinned. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with your initial assessment, but I'm taking Bullet Club just because Great Bash Hill is there, and you know it's Hanma. Yeah, yeah, he just yeah, just screams pin eater. Yeah, I'm gonna go with the Bullet Club team. Uh, any last thoughts on that? No, let's move on to the next one, which is the uh, the Chaos team of Tomohiro Ishii, Will Osprey, and Yoshihashi taking on the Lij team of Evil Shingo and Naito. Yeah, so regardless of consequences this match has a lot of great talent uh this six-man tag looks really good on paper yeah you know got a lot of solid guys here in this matchup a lot of guys with great chemistry obviously we've seen Shingo and Ishii Osprey and Shingo Evil and Ishii uh yeah there's, there's a lot of great matchups here Naito and Ishii uh so yeah this could be a really fun matchup here and Kind of wondering what they could lead to. I mean, you could have Osprey Pinchingo that leads to Osprey Shingo never title rematch. Um, I mean, I, I don't, I wouldn't dare do this, but you could try and get Yoshihashi a never title match here. Uh, I really think, um, and we'll talk about it here at the end. They have a lot of potential to start some feuds and start some stories. 
but it kind of feels like these are just some cork and hall shows and we're going to see very little of that i think we'll see some breadcrumbs maybe like maybe one or two solid feuds that are actually established but i think for a lot of these like open-ended matches where it's like what are they gonna do i think they're just not gonna to be that's if that if i if i had to like make a guess that's what i'd say is probably hap is happening yeah I mean, it would be very interesting to maybe get some breadcrumbs with um, Osprey and Naito and potentially, you know, maybe earmark him as a future IWGP challenger this year. Yeah, I mean, it's just like you look at this match, for instance, and there's a lot of champions here. You've got, you know, Will, the British champion, either Shingo or Ishii, the never champion. You've got the double champion in Naito. I mean, there's a lot of big names, and I'm like, this doesn't scream to me like it's anything that's going to lead to a future title match. If anything, maybe, and I don't think this is going to happen, but like I could see a team winning and someone coming out and attacking or something of that nature. I don't right. see anything specifically from this match that will lead to anything, but uh, I think it's just, you know, it's Nakanishi's retirement tour. Uh, it's the last night of his career. They've, they're the semi-main event. It's a star studded semi-main event. And I think that they'll, uh, Go out there and have a really – I think that's what it really is. It's, they're just going to have a really great match between these two, you know, different factions, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, and, you know, nothing too wrong with that. I'm always down for a great matchup. So uh, I, I am taking LIJ here. Yeah, so I was thinking LIJ. I'm thinking Yoshihashi's eating the pin here. Yeah, I mean, you, when, when you've got Naito, the double champion on one side, and he's got two studs like Evil and Shingo with him. I mean, they're probably going to win. Yeah. So that's and then the final match of the tour, uh, Manabe Nakanishi's retirement match. You've got the team of Tenkoji teaming up with Manabe Nakanishi and Yuji Nagata to take on the chaos team of Hiroki Goto and Kazushika Okada, along with Hiroshi Tanahashi and Kota Ibushi. And you've got um, just you know the New Japan dads on one side teaming up to take on a generational, you know super team you know goto okada tanahashi ibushi i mean heavy hitters an awesome awesome lineup uh for a final match and uh i don't know how high my expectations are for this but uh you know they couldn't have asked for four better guys to do it against right i, I think with this being nakanishi's last matchup here in cork and hall last matchup in his career I think this third-generation team are going to work really hard. I think we can see some really great stuff when you get Kojima and Nagata in there against that um, Goto, Okada, Tanahashi, Ibushi team-up. And then, you know, Nakanishi's going to work really hard, and Tenzon's going to try as well. So I think this is going to be, you know, it's probably, it probably is, obviously it's not going to be like some crazy five-star affair, but I think it has potential to be a really great main event with all eight guys working really hard and wanting to give Nakanishi a special moment here. My question is, is Nakanishi going to fly? He might. We might get, the, you know, the, <laughs> the the big chop off the top like he did in Osaka. We might get a, a plancha. Who knows? He I might... want the plancha. I want the tope. <laughs> yeah, so do I. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. Dude, that, that terrible, that <laughs> terrible, terrible plancha. <laughs> yeah, I want to see Nakanishi fly here. Yeah, well, you know, we don't have the story going into it that we had last year with uh, Iska's retirement. We don't have, you know, the battle for a man's soul, uh, you know, or anything of that nature. But one thing I did uh, see online, you know, the, the free match of the week this week is Manabu Nakanishi against uh, Kijimuto in the G1 finals. 
uh, I believe that was 1999. I, or, yes, 99. Okay. Yeah, and see, I don't have it even in front of me. My mind is like a steely trap. <laughs> you, you got a strong mind. <laughs> I got the strongest mind I've ever known. <laughs> but um, that that's what like one of the best matches of his career. But uh, aside from that, they've got a bunch of um, tribute stuff to Nakanishi up on New Japan World. So I highly recommend if you get a chance to check out some of that stuff. Uh, they just put up the match between him and um, um, uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi when he uh, lifted the IWGP title off of Tanahashi in Cork and Hall. So, you know, there is that element there that you've got a Tanahashi-led team on one side going up against Nakanishi in his final match in Cork and Hall and the, the history between those guys. So if you've never seen that match, it's a really emotional moment. I would recommend you check that out. But uh, obviously, I think Nakanishi is going out on his shield here. Um, if I had to take a guess, I would say Rainmaker, one, two, three. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Yeah, Rainmaker, Nakanishi, you know, great feel-good moment there. Get a little speech there from Nakanishi at the end, and he rides off into sunset. We're going to get flowers, tears, <laughs> people clapping. It's going to be great. Yeah, and one thing I did fail to mention, so on the Tiger Hattori show, there is, after the match, there will be a ceremony, and then there will also be a ceremony after this Nakanishi match here to uh, send these guys off. I'm guessing very similar to... What we saw of Liger, probably not as big, but kind of that moment there where they'll get the flowers and do their speech kind of thing. So should be a good moment. And um, one thing that's kind of unrelated to this match that I kind of noticed with this Goto, Okada, Tanahashi, Ibushi team, uh, weren't these all the guys that were standing up against Jay White last year, like right before New Japan Cup? Yeah. So I don't know. I just found that was kind of interesting little tidbit there i noticed that when i saw these four guys teamed up here oh jeremy you conspiracy theorist you (laughs) uh so i do um so now that we've kind of gotten through this i i want to talk about a couple things so uh first thing cork and hall you know this is a uh arena that they run very regularly throughout the year but not necessarily four nights in a row um are we thinking that this is mainly because they're going to have limited availability to do this later in the year because of the Olympics? Um, and and is this overkill to do it four nights in a row? So I don't think it's because of the Olympics because Honor Rising was usually like a three-night tour at least. So we're, okay. so we're tacking on just one extra night here. So I don't think it's because of the Olympics. I just think this is what they kind of already had planned out and they were just kind of running with it. Um, now, running Corkin a lot. So they already ran Corkin like three other times previously this month as well for those Road to New Beginning shows. So, and those shows had, um, you know, very low attendance compared to what you would normally have on a New Japan Corkin Hall show. So we, mm-hmm. could, we could be seeing some burnout here with the Corkin Hall crowd. But I feel like for this week with these retirement shows, you got a big never title match. You got Abushi Tanahashi challenging in the main event here. I think these houses will be up compared to, you know, the road to new beginning shows. Yeah, and um, you did bring up a good point, the fact that they just recently ran some other shows. Uh, I did think that the reason they were doing this was because maybe limited availability later in the year due to the Olympics, but you did bring up a great point. I totally forgot that this was sort of replacing the Honor Rising shows. So, you know, um, at the same time, there there's the fact that like those Honor Rising shows, I don't know if they were necessarily huge draws, but 
they were always like a fun, fresh sort of gimmick that did attract like outsiders. Right. And in this case, you know, we're kind of, these are kind of just road to shows. Obviously, you know, you've got Tiger Hattori and uh, Nakanishi's retirements tacked on to sort of like jazz it up a bit. But, um, you know, that, that kind of leads into the second thing I want to talk about. I mean, how are we feeling about these shows? Because um, I guess from my perspective, they have a lot of star power, these shows. I mean, they didn't skimp at all on the talent that's being involved here. And we're getting some pretty compelling title matches, which is something you always like to see, um, you know, and kind of raise it from your stand. You're, you're like, you know, monotonous doesn't mean anything road to show. Of course, you know, when you have title matches and some matches with stakes, that's awesome. But as far as the undercard goes, this doesn't look, even though there is a lot of star appeal and I think they'll do well, these matches don't seem to be very significant to me whatsoever. I know we're trying to kind of like hypothesize different things they may or may not do story-wise, you know, and how that's concerned. But it looks to me like they're probably saving a lot of those fresh stories and matchups for the anniversary show. And I, I, I don't think we're going to get a lot of that coming out of this tour, honestly. Right, yeah, we got a crazy March coming up with the anniversary show, the New Japan Cup, and wrapping things up with Sakura Genesis. So there's a lot of big shows there that they're going to have to do stories and some big singles matches for. So also we're getting a lot of multi-man matches here. And yeah, like you, like you mentioned, we're kind of overanalyzing and trying to put some, making it more compelling. And I don't, I don't know what they're going to do here. I mean, like you mentioned, this is, almost like a road two tour, they could easily just have some matches with very little storyline progression. Or, I mean, they could. They have the right guys against each other to progress and, you know, leave some breadcrumbs. Maybe some of these matches lead to New Japan Cup first-round matches. Maybe they, they lead yeah. to, to some Sakura Genesis title matches. That's what I'm hoping here, but what we, do, we don't think, know. I think they will. Like, I think there'll be some allusions to it. You know, yeah. I think there'll be some... I don't like macro stories. You know what I mean? Like, right. I don't think we're going to be seeing too many, like in the ring, like promos being cut or too many post match attacks necessarily. But I think we'll see little nuanced things. Um, I don't want to crap on these shows at all by any means, because they're better than what you normally get with, with your standard road to shows. Honestly, they're pretty good. You've got a lot of star power. But if I had to sum them up as anything, I think most of the matches are going to be primarily pretty insignificant, but still very easy to watch and entertaining because there's a lot of talent involved. And obviously the stuff on top is going to be really good, you know, with the title matches, the retirement matches. I mean, that stuff's going to definitely be can't miss. Yeah, I mean, that's what but, I'm uh, really looking forward to here on this tour. A lot of the semi-mains and main events are just really great here. And I think yeah. they're going to really deliver. And that's what I'm excited about the most here. Yeah, I agree. So, I mean, I would say these are, are just slight. I wouldn't call them B-level shows, but they're maybe just slightly. A, a, maybe I'd call them like C-plus shows. Right. And honestly, I think these lineups are, are a little bit better than what we get for Honor Rising. Especially well, that's just because you have a bias against, you know, Vinny and uh, <laughs> and uh, the horror king. Yeah. <laughs> you don't. That's because you don't like, uh, you know, Beer City Bruiser. Here's the thing. Beer City Bruiser is fine, <laughs> but I, I'm not trying to see Beer City Bruiser in a Ring of Honor title match in Cork and Hall. Hey, while we're talking about Ring of Honor, did you see the uh, Joe Coff uh, press announcement? 
Um, I saw, I did see something on Twitter with him talking about, you know, wanting to make sure Ring of Honor is like the greatest wrestling on the planet and just some other stuff that they're doing or whatever and shaking up the infrastructure and it was like a, a, a footage of Marty and stuff like that. Yeah, they, um, he, he, I don't know exactly what prompted this or, but I saw someone share this on our Twitter timeline. So I figured I'd check out the video and he was talking about some really like exciting things. Uh, they said that they're revamping like their distribution. Um, yeah, they, they are putting the, 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 the R-Witch library on Honor Club. Yeah, yeah. He said they're working on getting the entire backlog of the entire library put up. He also talked about um, – and everything was pretty general. Nothing was specific, but he was saying, you know, making uh, the Honor Club more than just a network, yeah. which might might just be a play on words. But, like, although we've had it for – how many years now have we had that? Two years? Two years, yeah. I mean, the only thing that I've ever really loved about it is that we got those uh, those pr- early uh, purchase ability for <laughs> <laughs> for MSG for the MSG show. Other than that, I was like, I don't know about these. You know, it's whatever. Um, well, I feel like but, the, um, the, the first year, like some of the pay per views weren't weren't too bad when, when the Bucks and those guys, the Elite, was still there. Yeah, and I mean, it's still a good value. You know, I mean, the shows they're putting on right now are good technically. It's just I'm not that invested in the product, but. Uh, you know, we've seen some positive changes with what's going on with Marty and everything of that nature. But um, you know, if if they bring on the whole backlog, that's exciting. Dude, that's... And then he mentioned Go ahead. No, so that that's worth getting it for to get that backlog and watch some of those early ROH shows. Oh my god, absolutely. And then uh <laughs> <laughs> and then um, you know, if if he's talking about them doing new things with their television and distribution and uh, new ideas for their fan experience. I mean, who knows if it's just fan service, but those are some positive, you know, things that he's talking about that sound like the kind of changes that we've been saying they need to make going into this year because 2019 was an awful year for Ring of Honor. Yeah, and they just recently had the uh, the free Enterprise show in Baltimore, which was a, a free show for fans to come in kind of great reception, I did watch the Briscoes versus Bandito and Flamita from that show, and that was a great matchup. Went four and a quarter on that, so you know they're they're making some right moves here and getting some talent locked down and making some interesting matches. So it looks like Ring of Honor is kind of on the come up for 2020. I think for me, I would need their, I would need their like television to like matter again, right. Because it's hard for me to like really be invested in them as a product without them having some sort of compelling storyline driven, you know, television, you know, because they kind of got away with that when they started changing things over the past couple of years. Right. Yeah. Their TV is pretty much essentially turned into a clip show now where they just kind of show highlights from the tours. Yeah. And I when I was getting it, you know, at like the height of Jay Lethal's run. A couple of years ago, obviously, like things are never going to be the way they were before, um, you know, the HD net years and everything like that. But it seemed like they were really like turning a corner like in 2015, 2016 ish area. And the TV was pretty good. And now with it just being a clip show, that's, you know, that, that does no favors it, for me as someone who's watching. It, it's like, why would I watch a clip show when I can watch all that stuff on Honor Club? It doesn't. It's it's not really forwarding any storylines. It's kind of just becoming like a live event company. And we've already talked about the short, you know, the shortcomings of being a live event company in 2020. I mean, we we have our criticisms of New Japan for that exact same thing, you know. Right. 
or at least in the states i should say yeah <laughs> um so yeah so yeah a little ring of honor talk there but we're gonna move on to the news and after the news we'll get to some questions here so uh first news item i want to talk about here so we had a rev pro high stakes this past friday on valentine's day and will osprey spoiler alert if you, haven't, if you want to watch this match and haven't seen it yet, so you might want to skip forward. But spoiler alert, Will Ospreay has defeated Zack Sabre Jr. to win the Undisputed British Heavyweight Championship. And after the match, he proclaims that he is now a heavyweight. Yep. So he's saying he's not going to be competing in the junior division any longer. Um you know, he's been alluding to that for a little bit. Uh there was a recent episode of the uh official new Japan podcast with Chris Charlton and um, Will Ospreay, which I was kind of mad because Will told me podcasts weren't his thing. He doesn't do those, but then he does one for Chris Charlton, but whatever. I digress. I, I think he, he might've <laughs> turned a leaf, man. He might, uh, you know, yeah. Yo, WrestleMania hey, we week. Osprey's coming to our town. I think we need to get, we should reach out to him. We need to get Osprey and the young boy in the room. We need, we need to <laughs> squash, squash the beef from new Orleans and <laughs> Get you know these two guys shaking hands on camera. I'm It'll gonna be- gaff him. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! Um, but uh, but anyway, so yeah, during that podcast, which was pre-recorded a few weeks ago, he was talking about potential. He was like, you know, I'm a few kilos away. I'm I'm right on the border. I don't know if they're gonna let me compete as a junior anymore. So he almost made it sound like he's he's packed on too much too many pounds. They're not even gonna let him do it. But he was like, you know. He's like, Robbie's basically taking my spot. And we've been, you know, on this podcast saying for a long time, especially you, Jeremy, uh, you know, late November, you were really, you know, hyping up the idea that the next guy for chaos at at junior was going to be, you know, Robbie Eagles. And he kind of confirmed that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Robbie since turning Bayface and being with chaos has just been, you know, it's been awesome in that role. And they even talked about it on that podcast with Chris Jordan that, you know, being in Bull Club just wasn't the right fit for Eagles and, Turning him bay face and getting him in chaos was just great, and he was able to kind of unleash his full, you know, arsenal of maneuvers there. And so, yeah, I'm really big on Robbie Eagles, and I think he's going to be a standout guy to look out for this year in the junior division. Um, my whole th- my whole thing is this: I just loved the match between Zack Saber and Will Osprey uh, during New Beginning Tour. Um, so, a rematch in your call with those kinds of stakes, I can't even imagine. I hope I, I haven't looked to see what the reception on the match is yet, but I, I given the kind of talent those guys have, I imagine it's got to be nothing short of a banger. So I can't wait to see it. Right. Yeah. I've been seeing a lot of 4.75 to five star kind of range here. I mean, a lot of amazing feedback. It's definitely going to be lofty. Yeah. It's going to be an excursion match of the year. I think candidate. So yeah, another great matchup between these guys here. And we do have a question here. I can't, I can't wait to watch it and then come back on the air and be like, wrap it up, boys. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> uh, we did have a question here from Reddit user Viking Payne. He said, Dave Meltzer is currently having mixed feelings with Osprey going to the heavyweight division because he still felt that he had a lot of matches left in the junior division. He also thinks the div- <laughs> <laughs> he, he also thinks the divide <laughs> between junior heavyweights is silly. I disagree. I think it was time for Osprey to move up to heavyweight, and I and I like the weight classes being divided. It makes the open weight rule more interesting. What do you guys think? Well, I mean, the first thing is 
I get where Dave is coming from because he's a big fan of that junior style. You know, our, there's an argument that Will Ospreay is the epitome and the pinnacle of that style. And, you know, if you're a fan of that sort of thing, you want to see him compete in that division going forward still, you know? So I get it. But at the same time, I'm literally like, who are these challengers and competitors that remain to be, you know, what what are the dream matches we haven't seen on the big stage? Right. we've We've seen them against Hiromu. We've seen them against Ryu Lee. We've seen him against Robbie Eagles. Uh just name me one guy that like he hasn't faced in the junior division that like people are clamoring for. Right. We've, we've seen him against amazing red Taguchi, Rocky, like bandito. Bandito. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm thinking of guys on the outside. Like we've seen him against everybody, bro. Literally. Like I can't think of a single guy that is an actual possibility that like, you know, Right, and I know I I listened to that Observer Radio where Meltzer was talking about this and feeling like moving Osprey up is kind of like belittling the junior division and the same thing he was kind of mentioning, you know, when Balor moved up and, uh, and Omega and other guys, kind of the junior title becoming this kind of transition where you kind of transition up into heavyweight. And to me, it's like with all those guys, well, maybe except Balor, but with like Omega and Osprey, these guys are packing on muscle and gaining the size to be realistically competitive in the heavyweight division. So it, it is kind of a, I think it's still sticking with that weight class. I mean, Osprey has packed on a ton of muscle compared to when he first started in New Japan. Listen, you and I off the air have had conversations that do I think that it's ever a possibility in, in a given point in time in a certain place where you could make different weight class divisions as important or prominent as each other, I think you already know that I think that that's a possibility. So do I. I mean, we've, we've talked about it. It's, it's the UFC model where right. who's ever the star, whatever weight class has a star, that's the top title. Yeah, and I mean, you look at how they did things in England for you know decades and how they did things in – Mexico for decades and you know it doesn't have to necessarily be that the heavyweight division is the top division you know um but there is that sort of thinking and mentality in Japan and it's because Japanese wrestling is derivative of American wrestling you know it was brought there by the Americans and that's kind of where they got it from and that is a tactic and an idea that has pervased the entire you know mindset and thinking of the bookers the promoters and the viewers but that being the case that's just what it is the heavyweight title is the top title in new japan there's never going to be a time where the junior title is more important than the iwgp heavyweight title it's the top title like so i mean even with that being the case it's very clear that the top junior division in all of wrestling no matter where it is is still new japan pro wrestling so Yes, for some guys who pack on that weight and go into and you know leave the junior division and compete in the heavyweights, is it a promotion? Absolutely. But is working in the junior division such a terrible gig? I mean, look at Osprey. It's not like he didn't. It's not like he was there for six months and then moved up like Shingo. Right. He spent spent several years in that junior heavyweight division. (laughs) He's been there since 2015. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We're talking about. 
half decade where he, you know, literally wrestled the who's who of guys that were there before he decided to, you know, take that step and deservedly so. So, I mean, I don't really know why you could be how I just think that that's silly. I mean, like we all kind of know what the deal is like. And at this point, like we mentioned, he's wrestled everyone there is in the junior division. And you're telling me you don't want to see Osprey Okada again, Osprey Ibushi, Osprey Shingo, Osprey Goto, Osprey Ishii, Osprey Naito, you know, Osprey Sonata, Osprey against all these guys in the heavyweight division with some fresh matchups and just some great potential rematches from G1 last year. Like, that's Here, the move. Here's the, the other thing, too, is like, okay, Osprey's a star, obviously. And could we see him in the junior division at some point in the future? He's a guy who likes to kind of buck the trends and. You know, who knows? Maybe he will, quote unquote, drop weight and go back to the juniors and maybe do that to try to elevate it. You know what I mean? Right. Not as a demotion, but as an elevation. But at a certain point, if you have a guy who's a big star like that, he he kind of just envelops the entire division and it creates like a vacuum to where it's hard for other people to get over. Sometimes to elevate the division you need that person to leave and go do something else. And I think that that's the time. This is the time for Will Ospreay to do that. So I really don't know why he's mixed on it. It's like, well, what more did you want him to do? Who did right. you want him to wrestle? Because we've seen it all. I don't know what, what we're even argue, talking about. Right. It's almost like the division's like a territory in where sometimes you need a guy to leave a territory so you could elevate somebody else and progress stories and just move things along and freshen things up. So it's like – I agree. It was time for Osprey to leave the junior territory, and now guys like Robbie Eagles can shine some more. You know, Taiji Ishimori, who's kind of been on the back burner, can get, get another chance to shine. El Phantasmo, uh, Ryu Lee's there for a whole year under contract. You get some more shine on him. Like, there are there are guys to elevate. You know, bring in Amazing Red, TJP, that they've been using on the America Tours. There's a bunch of juniors, a show and yo. I mean, they got junior division still stacked. Yeah, and as far as the question of whether they should have a split or not, I mean, I think it's one of those things where you you can make an argument one way or the other, and it's not necessarily – I don't think anyone is right or wrong. You know what I right. mean? There are valid points on both sides of that argument, and I'm not one to really entrench myself in either view because neither of them are right. I, For me personally, I'm a very like – logical person i like to look at both sides of both things and i can see the flaws and the benefits of both ways of thinking so i know that you know like i know where dave's coming from dave is basically like his whole thing is like we're at a point where everyone knows it's a work and all the guys at the heavyweight division pretty much do the stuff that the juniors used to do so it's not so much of a different differentiation between styles anymore like it was 20 years ago and it's gotten to a point where we've been able to see top guys who are juniors like your daniel bryans and people of that nature so you know who who've been believable and shown that they they've been able to like beat heavyweights so there really is no reason to keep the division separated. But on the other end of things, there is the fact that a, it's a tradition in Japan, you know, and it's part of that tradition. It's one, one of the things that defines Japanese pro wrestling. Number two, it in Japan, because of how important the juniors are, it creates them as like an attraction and gives them 
something of importance to do. And yes, a lot of times there are like places where some juniors get elevated, but usually they're few and far between while the rest of the guys who are smaller are still getting jobbed out. And if you have a designated spot where those guys can kind of be highlighted and made to be look like stars, I mean, that's, that's a definitely a positive, you know what I mean? And, um, yeah, I, I like the idea of there being a separation between the guys. And here's my last point with it. Some companies who do more outlandish entertainment based things, maybe a, um, separation of the weight classes isn't so important because they kind of lean into the fact that wrestling is work and have more outlandish gimmicks and more outlandish entertainment based things. For instance, AEW kind of comes to mind and I'm not criticizing them for that. I'm just saying like they kind of, even though they're doing some sports centric stuff, they definitely have some more entertainment based things. WWE is also kind of like that, but with new Japan being so sports centric, it would make sense that they'd want there to be, a designation between heavyweights and juniors to kind of keep a sense of realism because to them, it's like, you know, why is the guy that's under 200 pounds beating this 300 pound dude? Like it's not that believable. Maybe in a, in a company where those types of things are more accepted, like PWG or something, maybe, maybe it can happen, but in new Japan, it's probably not going to happen that often. Right. And you know, Normally, I kind of I'm, I'm usually in the camp of there shouldn't be a division between junior heavyweights and heavyweights for a lot of the points that you mentioned with a lot of the heavyweights kind of being able to do a lot of the stuff that the juniors can do. But honestly, I really does I do think it depends on the promotion. But like you mentioned in New Japan, very sports centric, and they treat the junior division with respect. You have the yeah. you you have a separate a whole month dedicated to the juniors with that best of super juniors tournament the junior title main events b level shows sometimes it's a semi main event of big shows it, it's a it's a true honor to be the iwgp junior heavyweight champion and you can get a push with that thing now when you look in more north american promotions that's typically where the split doesn't happen the junior slash cruiserweights are treated like you know third class citizens and it's almost like a career digression to hold a North American t- um, promotions junior or cruiserweight title. And when you kind of cross the line, especially in North American promotions where you can have like your guys like a Daniel Bryan, a CM Punk, uh, you know, guys of that size, you know, an Adam Cole who are great wrestlers and can prove to be the top champions. It doesn't quite make that sense to have you know, that division there, or it's a promotion like an AEW where majority of the guys are cruiserweight. So why are you going to, you know, split that division out? But yeah. And, and one last thing too, with it is basically this, it's like, there's such a rich history of the title and the division. And a lot of the points you made, you brought up the fact that they can headline shows with the junior tag team titles with the junior title and that, you know, those titles hold prominent roles on major shows, even if they're not headlining. They're still very important. If they were to hypothetically, quote unquote, end the split, I just wonder how much that would benefit the workers who are the juniors. 
is that going to be to their benefit? Is that going to earn them more money? Is that going to afford them more opportunities? In New Japan, I would honestly say it would not. So I that that's the main reason. Aside from just my personal preference, I'm like, how's that going to benefit a Kanemaru or a Desperado or a Bushi? Right. I, I don't see those guys working Tanahashi or anything like that. You know what I mean? Right. So, yeah. Yeah, it's probably not a good idea. Yeah, New Japan is the one promotion where I think it's a great idea to keep that junior division. I agree. And uh, speaking of juniors and cruiserweights, also on that Rev Pro show, we had Michael Oku, the British J-Cup winner, defeating El Fantasmo to become the new Rev Pro British Cruiserweight champion. Yeah, you know, Michael Oku is a guy I haven't, I've heard a lot about. I have not seen him just yet um they seem to be pretty high on him but from most things i usually hear is that he's still pretty green i mean have you seen any of him or anything of that nature so i've seen a little bit of him i did watch the british j cup because those matches were put up on new japan world and i thought he was very good i definitely see there's a, a still a lot of room for improvement um i don't know if i would say gr- necessarily green but i definitely think he's he's young and he's he's a, he's a lot to grow a lot to learn and definitely progress. Uh, but well, yeah, it's interesting that he's he's got a defeat already in uh, previously over ELP. So the fact that you know in this return match he beat him for the title kind of shows that they've got a lot of faith in the guy. Because I mean, Phantasmo's held that title for almost a year now, right? Right. And I also think that Oku, uh, I think he defeated Pack leading into this match too. I believe. Oh yeah, that was right. They had the um, they had the the four way. Well, there was a four way that also set up the one on one match they had the following event, and I think Oku okay. Oku beat him on that event. Because I know Pack actually lost during that four way as well, and so right. I thought that's what you're referring to. So yeah. okay, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's Pack is beatable when he isn't Dragon Gate champion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Um... It's going to be interesting to see. We've seen with that British Cruiserweight title that it kind of opens the gates to kind of coming into New Japan. So Yes, but not the gates that we want opened. <laughs> not the uh, the, port. Not the forbidden door. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, I'm hearing this match is kind of in, in the four-star range, so I definitely think it'll be you know worth a watch to kind of check out there. Awesome. Uh, what else we got for the news? Yeah, so the new beginning in USA tour, we didn't, we never really talked about kind of some of the final attendance numbers that came out, but you know, it's kind of being reported that this tour is one of the worst tours for business that New Japan has had in the modern regime. So, looking at some of these numbers here, so in Tampa we had eight hundred and sixty-three, Nashville five sixty, Durham six thirty-seven, in Atlanta eight fifty-five. Well, I'll tell you what, if they didn't do well, it's not Tampa's fault. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Tampa but, coming, coming in strong. But, I mean, yeah. Um, well, I mean, there's there's a lot of things that were there to kind of criticize. They didn't have street teams promoting this stuff. They didn't have any sort of actual presence in the local community. There was no, there was no radio spots. There was no, um, you know internet like targeting or you know i'm not really a marketer but there's no internet marketing of any sorts like unless you were like a diehard fan and you knew about this there wasn't anything that was going to tell you 
as just a local Joe Schmo, maybe WWE fan, that this even was happening. Like most people were completely unaware of it. So there literally like no marketing whatsoever. The shows themselves, while they might have been appealing to a New Japan fan who's kind of aware of the benefit of these shows because you're getting a lot of singles matches, to your average New Japan fan looking at people like um, – like who who was even on those shows? Like like an Alex Zane, or who else? Jeff Cobb, Archer, yeah. Tanahashi. Well, no, I'm thinking. No, I'm talking about more like the guys that people wouldn't know. Gotcha. Uh, Mysterioso. Right, like a Mysterioso or like an Alex Zane, and they're looking at the cards and they're like, "Why do I want to be there for that?" You know what I mean? Or like even some some people who might not know the LA Young Lions. Like we we went to the show that we went to. Like. The stars got big receptions, but like I thought the the young lions kind of were like I was surprised they didn't get the receptions that I kind of anticipate them getting. So it's like on paper, these weren't like the most enticing cards, you know. Right. Maybe to a to a certain subsect they might have been, but I mean, look at the numbers they drew. You know what I mean? You're talking eight to five hundred. We were kind of thinking that they they would do over a thousand in most markets like around a thousand ish 900 to like 1100 but they didn't even do that even in the top markets that they ran and for them to come here spend that money to bring the talent over all all the costs that are involved with running a touring schedule like that in the states while they're also doing shows you know they're doing a split tour um yeah these were probably a financial, like you said, uh, failure. And that kind of goes to the, to what we've said in the past, you know, like they have to change the way that they're doing business here, change the way. Also you look at the ticket costs, they were exorbitant. The, the, the prices for the, t- for the shows were very, very expensive. Um, they didn't do, yeah, there, there's just a lot there. There's a lot. Yeah, and it's something that we've talked about over and over again as we talk about the the U.S. expansion. I mean, that's kind of been like one of the central themes of our show. Literally from episode one, we've been talking about the U.S. expansion and what they need to do and the pros and cons and the ups and downs of everything they've done so far. And, yeah, these numbers are, you know, disappointing. And, you know, if they had kind of done what we've been talking about and really kind of pushing that market, you know, they had no – U.S. TV to kind of help get the word out or, you know, like you mentioned, any kind of radio PSA. I I did see a few Twitter ads, but that's not really going to bring people in the door. Um, Another thing, too, is like I just wonder. And I've said this before, you know, you look at the model of like the UFC and they've, they've kind of expanded now. So they do some minor shows, but there was a long period of time where it's like they would only run so often they wouldn't run the same places very often. And so when they would come, it would be for big events and they would hype the crap out of it. And they had brand awareness. And when they came to where you were, like you were like, Holy crap, like they might not be here for years. Like this is a big deal. And when they came, they came in full force. They had like jam, you know, jam packed cards. And I just wonder, like we look at for and. And, you know, I'm not talking about anything that's that foreign to New Japan. Look at those early shows that they did at Walter Pyramid and how much goodwill that brought. It was like, holy crap, they're doing 5,000 seat attendance without like even trying. Like, that's incredible. I guarantee you if they were running shows that were similar in quality 
to the Walter, even without the elite, if they're running like a similar quality show in a big market and they just put their money into that, that would look better when they taped it, when they aired it, when they sold the tickets, everything like, or at least that's my, that's my uh, opinion. Like, I think that that's a better look than to, to run five or six shows that underwhelm, don't do well, don't produce anything for your library. And, you know, maybe they entertain the few fans that are there, but ultimately like they're a blip on the radar and they cost you more than, than you got out of them. You know, they're a loss. Yeah, definitely agree with you. And, you know, we've mentioned this. I feel like, you know, they have all these, you know, regions or territories that they want to hit up this year. I feel like they should have just did, you know, one kind of that, you know, that strong style of all those Walter pyramid style shows in it's one city in each of those markets and try to draw from some of the major cities all across the market to come to one place for a bigger show. I think the fear is you, you, you put all your eggs in one basket and it doesn't succeed the way you want it to. Maybe, you know, you kind of look at how they thought the uh, show for the cow palace was supposed to do. And it didn't maybe live up to what it was supposed to. But back then we had criticisms too. We we're like, well, Maybe it would have performed better if you'd told us who was going to be on the card more than a, a week or two before, or maybe if you'd actually given us the matches that were occurring further out. And so it's like they haven't figured it out. Their answer to that was like, oh, well, we'll just run more shows in smaller venues and we'll make up the money. And it's like, no, <laughs> no, give it like what they're doing for Wrestle Dynasty so far, from what I can tell, seems to be a much better method. And, you know, um, I'm much more in favor of them running major events like that once or, you know, or however so often they want to do it versus these minor shows that really add nothing to them from a business perspective. It's not going to, it's not going to help them get a TV deal. It's not going to help them get subscriptions to their network. It's not going to get them more fans or viewers. If it is, it's going to be nominal at best. And it could even have an adverse effect when you when the numbers are bad and you know you're at a financial loss and it's like why did you even do this? Right. So yeah, I'm looking forward to Wrestle Dynasty and I'm hoping they kind of correct some of the mistakes that we've been talking about um, over the over the years here. And I'm looking forward, hoping that com- comes close to a sellout and we get a, you know a great card. Yeah, and also one last thing is like those shows really had no relevance at all. Aside from the fact that they did a title change, you could be a New Japan fan and never have seen or watched. And you know what? We haven't because most of most of the footage is even out, and we wouldn't even know what we know except for the fact that we went to the Tampa show. But they really had no bearings on the actual product from a kayfabe standpoint, really. Right. Yeah. So it was pretty much, you know, it was almost like even below Road Two level at some point. <laughs> They, they, that was basically the equivalent of like Largo Loop show. Seriously, yeah. For like NXT, yeah. And we, so. and we pay 10 bucks again, those. <laughs> yeah. I mean, uh, this show was much better than that live. It was great for the live audience, but ultimately it's a mishap for New Japan as a company. Right. Um, so moving on, uh, like you mentioned earlier, the Monday free match is the G1 Climax 99 matchup between Keiji Muto and Manabu Nakanishi. You can check that out on YouTube or New Japan World for free. Um, Harold May was featured on NHK, which is a leading network in Japan, on the TV show The Human. 
Uh, that would be the equivalent of a feature of on Vince McMahon or Dana White on 60 Minutes, as it's the most popular new show of its type in Japan. And then one last thing here in the news, John Moxley, the deaf writer, will be facing David Starr at OTT Scrapper Mania. Ooh, so. ah, David Starr. <laughs> I said, ooh, ah, David Starr. So, yeah, oh, man. big matchup there. Yeah, I can't wait for that, man. You know, um, I'm still high off that David Starr, George Devlin series. So, yeah, I can't wait to see what a uh, – where are they wrestling? Uh, I don't have the location for the Scrapper Mania. Here, let me see. Can, you can still hear me, right? Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna go to the to the machine here and let's take a look. Google machine. Yeah. Yeah. There's like common, common. Uh. Oh, they're yep. National Stadium, Dublin, Ireland. So that is gonna be freaking killer. Uh. I cannot wait to see, you know, the Death Rider walking through that, through the um. <laughs> Through the top concourse of that, like that one level of National Stadium. Yeah, and <laughs> but uh, uh, the, that that crowd's one of the best crowds in all of wrestling. It's like one of the most electric like environments. So, for them to get you know freaking John Moxley like against their top guy, like that's gonna be incredible. Yeah, it's gonna be awesome, and I kind of love what David Starr's been doing lately. Where, where for the you know the quote unquote. It, Imports, he doesn't want to defend the belt against them. He doesn't feel like they deserve a towel shot because they're coming in for one shot. He wants people. I didn't know that. <laughs> he wants people to come into the promotion and spend time. So, like, he just recently faced Jeff Cobb and it was non title. He's like, Cobb's not going like, to be here full time in this promotion. He's coming here for a one shot. Like, you need to be in this promotion long term if you want a towel shot. So, this John Moxley. Um, <laughs> so, is, is the, the match with John Moxley non title? Yeah, he calls Moxley an import. He's coming here for a paycheck, not to be help the promotion out. So, He's not going to defend the belt. Bro, belt I, I, I love that. I, <laughs> I didn't know he was doing that. That's great. <laughs> you know, speaking of which, uh, it's not in the news, but we should probably talk about it. Very Well, not talk about it, but, you know, um, Jeff Cobb, who is a New Japan regular, is going to be working his first ever uh, AEW date this coming Wednesday. That's right. This coming up, Dynamite, he will be facing John Moxley um, as the inner circle and Chris Jericho have hired Jeff Cobb to be a hitman to take out Mox before revolution. So yeah, quite interesting to see what the future is with Cobb. I've heard he hasn't signed a full-time deal yet with AEW, but yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how he's used in the future. Yeah. The reports say that they want him to sign. He obviously has, uh, you know, made his intentions known. He wants to work independent and specifically new Japan dates still, New Japan hasn't signed him to anything uh, specifically, and he is still working some ROH, but he is, you know, it's per date basically at this point. So very interesting. You got a guy who's, you know, doing ROH, AEW, and New Japan, you know, uh, all at the same time, you know, kind of right. interesting there. Um, I I like Jeff Cobb a lot, but like he's not necessarily a guy that, for me, I think he's someone who seems like he should be a perfect fit for New Japan, but for whatever reason, never seems to actually be one. I think his style lends itself more to the North American independent style, more so than like the Japanese Puro style. So like if he did hypothetically leave, I don't know that I'd be heartbroken. Right. And I think of him, as, it's just one of those things where he needs more consistent tours in that New Japan system, I think he would get better. But he's so infrequent 
when he kind of comes in. So he's not really kind of, you know, adapting as well as we think he should be. I agree with that. And I think he has adapted quite a bit uh, over what we first saw of him in New Japan. But, um, you know, who knows if it's better for him to work AEW? I hope I hope that works out, you know, and if they decide they want to keep bringing him in and he wants to keep, you know, working in Japan, I hope that happens. We'll see. All right, so now we're going to run down these questions here. So first from Reddit user Viking Pain, because I was listening to VOW podcast the other day, and they said that if Russell Donacy didn't draw at least 10000 for the show, it would be a failure. Do you guys agree? Also, if Russell Donacy upon us, do you guys think it'll be strictly a New Japan show? I don't. I think they'll book a stardom match, and I think they'll do something with Marty Skrull and Villain Enterprises, Marty slash Aldis for the NWA title. What matches would you guys fancy book to help the show draw and reach the, that 10,000-plus accomplishment? Huh, that's a loaded question. He just said a lot of things. Yeah, so, let, <laughs> let, so let's start with the first part. Do you agree with our friends over at VOW, Joe Lanza, Rich Krejci, that if this show doesn't draw at least 10,000, it'll be a failure? Um, there is definitely some truth to that statement. Um, I, I don't know the specifics about the financials, and I'm assuming what they're saying isn't just from a per, like perception standpoint, although it might have something to do with that. But I also think it has something to do with the fact that like running Madison Square Garden is one of the most expensive endeavors that one can do when you're like running major arenas in North America. So I think to like break even and to be have some sort of modicum of like financial success you need at least that kind of number i know they did just shy of 17 um for the g1 supercard of honor um i think they did like 16.9 which is like pretty close to capacity or is like a sellout so yeah i mean they would need like around 10 to show that it was a successful show and to probably make money yeah, I agree. Like you mentioned, yeah, MSG, one of the most expensive buildings to run. So, yeah, they definitely need that plus 10000 for it to be a financial success, just, a, you know, uh, a visual success. You don't want to be filming that thing, and it's a, a G1 Dow situation where the building's empty and you see a bunch of, you know, empty seats. So, yeah, right. I agree. Definitely need that plus $10,000. Um, the next part of his question, do you guys think it'll be strictly a New Japan show? Well, I mean, so I know that he mentioned that he thought that they might run some other stuff. And I don't know that if they have involvement from outside entities that it's not a New Japan show. You know what I mean? Like, I think what he's asking is, are they just going to strictly run New Japan talent? Or will they have an outsider here? Like, because I think that if they have an outsider like a Marty Skrull, that he's basically saying it's it's not a New Japan show necessarily, you know, because they're using the ROH guy. Right. But um, to me, I think um, I think unless you're, like, using half and half, then it's still a New Japan show. Exactly. And we've, we've seen in the past with some of those Long Beach shows, they brought in SCU and Marty and some of these Ring of Honor guys, and it was still considered a New Japan-branded well, show. That's true, but remember how many people got upset about those? Right. And they felt like they weren't getting a true, authentic New Japan experience, and they wanted more of the you know native signed talent that they weren't kind of getting. I think we're going to see – I mean, the fact that it's called Wrestle Dynasty and the fact that it's in this major arena, 
I think we're going to see like literally at least a dominion level card, something because they're, they're, they're giving it this big name in this big historic arena. I think we're getting like major, major pay-per-view level type of show. Uh, with that being the case, I think we're getting most of the big stars, but they might throw in someone who is appealing to the North American market like Marty Skrull. Like, who knows? I'm not saying he moves numbers, but I wouldn't be surprised if like a Nick Aldis was involved or right. someone like that. Like, I wouldn't at all. And I don't think that that's necessarily cheating. I think if they like throw in half, you know, ROH guys, then A, that'd probably be a mistake, but B, then I think we're getting to that territory where it's not really like a New Japan show, but we're getting a real New Japan show here. Make no mistakes about it. They wouldn't be calling it Wrestle Dynasty, and they wouldn't be running Madison Square Garden unless they were really giving us like all the top guys. Right. Yeah, I definitely think Marty is probably the most likely quote unquote outside guy that we'll see on this card. And Marty's still very popular in North American um, you know, fan base and could be a guy that can help push some tickets. You can put Marty in in a big singles match on that card. Plus, keep in mind, if the reports are to be believed in what he's saying, he's supposed to be working in New Japan a lot this year. So how much of an outsider is he if he's working, you know, plus he's got such a rich history working for New Japan throughout the years. I mean, it's not like, you know, he's Mysterioso. <laughs> right. And then as, yeah. far, as far as a stardom match, I could easily see them doing either like a dark match like they, they've done in the past, a dark start a match or i mean if they want to they I mean i guess they could throw a start a match on the card kind of the kind of part of this special of being in new york but i think it's more likely it'll be like a dark opening match they could um do that my only thing is like i don't and no disrespect to like joshi or to stardom but i mean how like how beneficial will that be to their bottom line is what I'm wondering. Right. You know, I mean, like if, you know, dollars and cents are kind of a big concern with this North American expansion and we're trying to like get the most bang for our buck and it's this major show and this major super expensive arena. I really feel like them running stardom, like a stardom match is more of like a consolation thing than anything else. It's not something that is an actual draw. And I think that they need to do things that are, strictly draws for this particular show if they really want to succeed yeah and that's not me undermining um joshi because i think there's a time and a place where it does and will draw but i don't think in 2020 on this show for this market that it's really going to be a big difference maker right yeah we're not going to see a starter match you know push you know five thousand ticket sales or whatever you know so Right, but I think it would be cool. I mean, if they've got the budget for it, and I'm sure there there will be people that like it. I also like my other thinking is like I think it makes more sense in Japan because they have a target demographic and audience they're trying to go after. But you know, I'm not sure how like what kind of expansion plans they're looking for when it comes to stardom in the states. That's the the other main reason I'm kind of like, what kind of benefit does it offer? You know, Bushi Road as a company. I don't know. Right. And the last part of his question is asking, what will we fantasy book to draw to reach the top? Um, so just in, in the sake of time here, let's just book a, a semi-main and main event of fantasy booking for this show. Um, I mean, 
yeah, I mean, for, for me, main event, I'd probably do Okada and Naito. That would also probably be my main event as well. Just because they already did it. Um, they already did it. So, I mean, cat's out of the bag. They're not going to run it for a major show ever. I mean, not. I'm not saying not ever, ever again, but I mean, like, they already did it, you know, and they've done it three times at Wrestle Kingdom. So it's kind of a shot match at this point, and we've never gotten that in the States. And if they built it up right, they might it might be something really special. So, I mean, that would be my main event. That's what I would do. Yeah. Then for my semi-main, I think I would do uh, Will Ospreay versus Shingo for the Never title. Holy crap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. I would definitely – yeah, I, I, I can't really argue with that. I might do something with Tanahashi mm. in a singles, singles match. I don't know against who. Uh, let's just throw that out there as a third match. I mean, if you're going to do Tanahashi against a big name, who would you do? Let's see here. Who could Tanahashi face? Um, I guess you could do like Kenta. Yeah, you could do that. You could also do like Marty Skrull. Oh, that would be, yeah, that would be interesting. I, I would say Zach, but there he did Zach. Right, and I really don't want to see him versus uh, Jay. I think they're going to do a big, big junior match too. So, I mean, I would I would anticipate Hiromu wrestling someone big. Yeah, I mean, you could you could run back Hiromu Ryu Lee. Um, that would be great for that type of card. That would be so historic to have those two guys wrestle in Madison Square Garden. I would love to see that. I mean, you know, Dynamite Kid and Tiger Mask wrestled in Madison Square Garden. I mean, there's a lot of comparisons between those two different feuds. I mean, I would love to see Dragon Lee and and uh, and freaking Hiromu wrestle in the Garden. Uh, back back to the Tanahashi match, you could do Tanahashi Abushi. Oh God, yeah, <laughs> Holy, yeah. I knew there was somewhere forgetting. So I mean. Yeah, let's do that. Let's do Naito Okada and let's do Ibushi and Tanahashi for like the IC belt. Yeah. So yeah, top three matches there. So Okada, Naito, Tanahashi, Ibushi, Shingo. And you still have like, yeah, Shingo and Osprey. Osprey. Holy crap. Yeah, I mean, they they would draw with that card for sure. (laughs) So uh, moving on to the next question here from Reddit user Grunty Dodds. He says, what do you think of Brody King? And do you think he has any future in NJPW? Uh, we both love Brody King. I don't mean to put words in your mouth, Jeremy, but we've had many discussions about him. I mean, I think we both think he's a really great talent. I would love to see him in New Japan. I, I loved him on that uh, Best Super Juniors Tour last year. Um, I thought he had a really impressive accounting of himself. I hope that we see more of him. Um, I don't know if we will, but he seems like one of the free agents that New Japan could hypothetically get. My only thing is like, New Japan has seemed very hesitant to sign anybody to any real deals, especially if they're foreigners. Like they, they seem to be mostly doing per date deals with a lot of those guys. Right. Well, I think the key for Brody King in New Japan is just going to be how Marty kind of brings back this relationship with New Japan. So Brody King yeah. did re-sign with Ring of Honor, signed a, a new contract with them. So he will be with ROH for the, the foreseeable future. So if this ROH New Japan relationship continues to strengthen, we could see Brody come over with Marty like we saw in Best of Super Juniors where Marty was teaming with Brody on the undercards and there was the whole 
know, PCO said that they were supposed to bring in Brody and PCO for World Tag League, but Brody got hurt. So I definitely think we could see some more Brody King in New Japan this year, especially with Marty kind of working that relationship. Yeah. Uh, so next question from Reddit user, why did you do that, bro? Do you think New Japan would run a Okada-Naito rematch at MSG instead of Dominion? The Japanese fan backlash would be insane. Um, I mean, I don't know if it would be that insane if Dominion ended up getting like a really incredible card. Right. I mean, like we mentioned, Okada Naito is one of those matches that they've done several times now. Just because they kind of held it off for, you know, two years doesn't mean they hadn't done it previously a lot before then. And now that they've kind of hit the big one at Wrestle Kingdom, it's kind of, you can do it pretty much at, it's like it's like Okada in Tanahashi now. Like, you could do like Okada Naito at Dontaku if they wanted to. At, you can do that match at really at any well, point now. I wouldn't say I wouldn't go that far because even though they just did it, they did protect it for two years and it is still a match between their two biggest stars. I have no indication that they're going to do it at MSG or Dominion. Who knows? Maybe they could do it at both. Literally. I mean, like it is that big of a match to where they could hypothetically do it at Dominion and at MSG. That's real possibility. Um, you know, I think that there are other matches they could do at MSG. It's just for me, if if you're just putting the, the gun to my head, that's the one I'm going to pick. But I mean, I, I, I think there'd be some backlash from Japanese fans if they did that. But at the same time, if they if they give Dominion a really meaningful, like incredible main event, how how bad is that backlash really going to be? Right. Yeah. Also, Dominion is happening first, so. If this company's history is any indication, as much as we disagree with it, they might not even tell us what's happening at MSG until after Dominion. So exactly. there's that too. True, yeah. Next question from Reddit user Bravo Tango Zulu. Any predictions and or hopes for first round matches in New Japan Cup? Personally, I predict Chase Owens versus Kota Ibushi since the match was planned for New Beginning in USA but couldn't happen there. I guess it's somewhat similar to Ishii and Nagata last year. Meanwhile, I hope for either Shingo versus Suzuki or Shingo versus Kenta or Suzuki versus Kenta, though I feel the last one is uh, is least likely for New Japan Cup. Um, I mean, I think that it's possible that they end up doing Ibushi and uh, Chase Owens. I think it depends on how big the field is, whether they still do the 32 men versus the 16. Are they, They're doing 32, aren't they? Yeah, based on the amount of knights they have listed, it looks like it's going to be 32. Okay, so that's a possibility, but... I don't think it's exactly the same as last year with uh, Shingo and Nagata, or I'm sorry, Ishii and Nagata, because Ishii and Nagata was like a feud that they like literally built to and then couldn't do and then had to pay off in the tournament. Whereas Chase and Ibushi was just a random match that was, I mean, yes, they have history and yes, there's been like the whole thing where Chase tries to get Ibushi to like give him too sweet. <laughs> but that's, that's not an, I wouldn't call that a feud. You know what I mean? Like, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, it was just something that was going to happen. So who knows? As far as, um, like, predictions, I honestly, I'm so er- – it's so early. Like, I have none. 
So, so he's asking specifically about like first round matches, and so I really think we're going to get Okada Taichi as a first round match. Yeah, we just we talked about that in the show, and I think that's a possibility for sure. I, I for me, I. I'm just trying to get through these like four nights in front of us. I'm like trying to eat my meal like one by one. I know people are excited for New Japan Cup. I have given it no thought. Like I kind of have a, a winner in mind, but even that person I'm not so certain about. Yeah. I, so like I, I kind of have two people I think are going to hit the finals. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I'll hold on to that as we get closer to previewing New Japan Cup. And of course, we'll do our, you know, our prediction contest like we've been doing every year. So. Look yeah, I mean, that. I I don't have any any real things in mind. I mean, I think a lot of the ones you gave, Shingo Suzuki, Shingo Kenta, Suzuki Kenta, I really don't see any of those happening first round. Those are big matchups. Those are great matchups that everyone wants to see, not just, <laughs> not just you. And um, unless they're like gonna be starting some major feuds off with some of those guys, I really don't see them wrestling in the first round most i mean i could be wrong but i mean can you imagine shingo suzuki first round like holy crap that that would be yeah a huge uh first round matchup there or like suzuki kenta first round like i don't i just don't see it personally i mean i i could see shingo suzuki like down the line you know maybe semi yeah i could see any of these matchups in the tournament but first first round that's that's that would be crazy yeah. Um, so next question from Reddit user just a little bear zero one. While Japan touring may not be a situation he can do right now, how do you feel about Eddie Kingston on New Japan of America shows? Kind of like a Rock and Roll Express slash Amazing Red U.S. only gig. Yeah, I mean we like uh, Eddie Kingston. He brings a lot to the table. Uh, he's all over the independent scene. Is he still doing NWA? Yes, he is. Okay. So, I mean, um, I mean, I think that you're kind of more, more exposed to Eddie Kingston these days. I mean, what do you think? You think he'd be a good fit? I, I don't, I'm not so confident he would be. Right. I mean, I think he could probably have like a, a, a never style match. Like if you put like him against like Ishii or maybe Goto, but long term, Nagata. Nagata. Yeah. But long term, I don't know if Eddie Kingston could go in new japan and don't get me wrong we like kings who mentioned he's an incredible promo i mean at nwa he's been like one of the best promos on that show but he really hasn't been like like when's the last time you really heard like an eddie kingston match being like blow away or being talked about across the you know internet wrestling community um you know we saw a really good match he had some really good matches during wrestlemania weekend last year but we it the the scuttlebutt at the time was that he was he was done with wrestling and that that was his like swan song yeah <laughs> and uh that didn't end up being the case i saw a match with him masato tanaka that was pretty awesome um eddie kingston's a great performer i just wonder if he you know uh, wh- why does he think he can't tour in japan i don't know i don't know if there's some legal stuff there or something something that happened i'm not 100% sure why eddie wouldn't be able to tour japan or maybe he just said that like they maybe he just means they wouldn't invest in him by bringing him over, and right. maybe maybe he's just suggesting they use him for U.S. states. Yeah, I mean, to me, Eddie Kingston's a pretty prolific guy. 
I think if you bring him in, you use him and you you actually integrate him to your to your uh roster. He's not the kind of guy that I think you bring in as a one off. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, I mean like Yeah, I, I like Eddie Kingston a lot and if they could do something with him, I think that'd be cool. Uh next question is from Peace on 91. He says, "Do you think there is any reason why it looks like New Japan won't be doing a big U- UK show this year? Seems like Royal Quest did really well, sold out the Copper Box and had not only UK fans but fans from all over Europe coming to the show." Um you know, my thinking on this is that they could still be doing it a, a UK tour down the line. Um, I know traditionally around this time they would have already announced something like that, so it seems somewhat unlikely. But at the same time, they've really been staggering. And we mentioned this last week on the show. The way that they've been announcing dates has been very staggered and not at all the same way that they normally traditionally do it. I think the announcement of the Olympics uh, in, in Japan 2020 has a lot to do with that. So I think it's still a possibility. Yeah, um, yeah, I think that the reason right now that why there is kind of a delay on that is kind of the whole stuff with Michael Craven. You know, he was kind of in charge yeah. of that UK, uh, you know, promotion and getting stuff done in the UK. And there was a whole thing with him kind of being taken out of that role. So that could be kind of a, you know, a hiccup there. But like we mentioned, I wouldn't be surprised if at some point they do announce a UK tour later on, just based the schedule's all out of whack this year with the Olympics and G1 being in the fall. We've got this Hokkaido tour in July. We've got Wrestle Dynasty. So we, we don't know what's going to, what the fall's going to look like after G1 or uh, in between Wrestle Dynasty and G1. There might be a little time to do something there as well. There's also the possibility that the books don't allow for it. Maybe they're spending too much money on the expansion in America and it's causing them to put what's going on with their UK dates on the back burner. And, you know, maybe there's more in their mind, more growth opportunity or capital to be earned in the U in the U S as opposed to what they could hypothetically get in the UK. Even if they had a successful copper box show, that might not necessarily mean that they see immediate, long-term plans in the uk as being a viable option um but i'm not saying that that's the case i uh, jeremy brought up a good point this stuff with michael craven definitely plays a role into it but let's be clear here i mean new japan whether it's under the new japan new japan uh, label or under the rep pro label they've been running major shows in october november every year for like four or five years now i just find it really hard to believe that they wouldn't do it again especially since it's just something they always do. So if I had a bet on it, I would, I would say they're going to have something. Yeah. It might not be like this. It might not be Royal quest, but they're going to do something. Yeah. Maybe they'll do another one of those kind of like co-promoted like rev pro shows like they've done in the past and, you know, bring over, you know, your Suzuki's, your Osprey's, your Sabres, Tanahashi, Sonata type of guys and have them against rev pro guys. Yeah, at the very least, I think they're going to do that. So I, I I, still have a lot of hope. I, I expect them to have a UK tour. We don't know for sure, but I expect it. Uh, next question from Reddit user DomHomie101. It's coming up to almost a year since Kush- Kushida left NJPW to go to NXT. 
Do you guys think it was a mistake for him to leave of how the way he's being used in WWE? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't know that it's a mistake. Um, I think they're aside from like some of the Joshi women. Um, I think most of the Perezu, like, you know, the, the Japanese guys that have gone over, it's been a misstep for most of them. Um, at least from a creative, you know, fulfillment, fulfillment sort of like uh standpoint from a financial standpoint. I don't know that it is or isn't. I don't know what his career goals were. I don't know what he was looking to do. And I don't know that Kushida is going to be totally tarnished. We saw how Kento was able to kind of spend some time down there and come back and be an immediate success. I don't know. I mean, Kushida is a far cry far cry from being a kenta uh you know at no point in his career was he ever as big you know as big of a star or a name as kenta was but i mean who knows yeah i think it it really depends on what kushida's goals were if you want to call it a failure or not if his goal was just to come live in the u.s make a lot of money make a good living for his family then it's a success. He's he's getting money. He's living in the U.S. He's taking care of his family. He's getting to wrestle some people he's never really wrestled before, and so it could be considered a success. But he, if his goal was to come to America to be this huge star and to wrestle at WrestleMania, then maybe you could say it's a failure with him being you know literally thrown in the trash on USA Network. So it, it really depends on. Kushida on what kind of what his goals are I mean yes I would like to see him used in a better role and not just you know being a a guy that's putting over the the top NXT guys yeah and keep in mind when Kushida left it was literally just before the the war between AEW and WWE would start and the changing landscape things were the, the climate of wrestling was just so different right around the time that he left. And then it changed so rapidly that he just became another of the, like, I think they got like something close to like 30 something odd wrestlers stuck down there in developmental, like barely being used on TV or anything like that. And there's no way he could have known, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah. At the time that, I mean, I, well, I take that back. Of course he could have known to some degree because <laughs> <laughs> it's WWE and there is a track record and a history there. But, you know, this is someone who probably wanted to gamble on himself and take the chance. And then things change very drastically. And I think that there's still hope that, you know, Kushida's got a lot left in the tank and there there's still hope for him. But uh, it might be it might have been a mistake. It just depends. I mean, we'd have to see who knows. I guess you'd have to ask Kushida, honestly. Right. I mean, look at what's going on with Cedric Alexander. Mm, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh... And then he also asked, can the young boy explain the run of Bob Sapp in NJPW? Yeah, so, you know, Bob Sapp, um, if you're unfamiliar with Bob Sapp, Bob Sapp is, was a former NFL, I think, linebacker, just a giant of a man. He's someone who um, competed in MMA, and I mean, he's so large that he could never fight at the traditional heavyweight limit that is imposed on fighters in the States under the unified rules of MMA, you have to at least hit 265 to fight at heavyweight. And, you know, guys like Brock Lesnar, Alistair Overeem, they have to cut weight to make 265. Um, I don't think Bob Sapp could ever 
make 265. That's how big he is. I mean, we're talking a 300-pound-plus giant, and he was someone who competed in both MMA and kickboxing at the height of their popularity in Japan. He was a uh, K1 Grand Prix champion, which is like the highest honor in K1, which was the you know, most prominent you know, kickboxing federation in the world at the time. They were the most prominent and popular form of fighting entertainment outside of sumo at the time. I mean, they were bigger than Pride, bigger than most MMA companies. And then, um, you know, he kind of parlayed his success in uh, kickboxing. And keep in mind, this is a huge man who wasn't necessarily the most gifted or talented fighter in the world. But he still, because of his size, his gifts, and, and athleticism, was able to still beat some of the best fighters in the world like Ernesto Hoost and you know people like that. And he went to Pride and you know went on a run. He uh, ended up uh, fighting the champion Minotaur Noguera, uh, almost killed him. He literally dropped – he literally spiked the dude on his head like it was a pile driver in an MMA fight. <laughs> Damn. Um, in like one of the biggest uh, fights in – not just the fact that the fight itself was big, but the, the card itself was so stacked. They did like close to 90,000 uh, spectators like outdoors. It was kind of crazy. Um, and that was a card that was uh, co-promoted between pride and K one. And some of you are probably wondering, like he asked about new Japan. Why are you bringing up all this fight stuff? Well, at the time Inoki had a deal where he was partnered with K one and pride. All three of the companies were working together. So, you know, when we talk about Inokiism, this is at the height of Inokiism, like 2002, 2003, where Inoki um, was bringing in top draws and top stars from Kickbox, you know, from K1 and from Pride. And of all those guys, if there was anyone who was made for pro wrestling, it was Bob Sapp. Now, keep in mind, Bob Sapp was as, yes, he had success in MMA, he had even more success in kickboxing. He was a freak. He was not a good wrestler at all. In fact, I watched his match with Nakanishi from 2002, and I mean, it's atrocious. Like, it was <laughs> abysmal. Bob Sapp was a horrible, horrible pro wrestler. I mean, just horrible. But he was the most popular sports personality in all of Japan. I'm talking a guy who would do like 60. Yeah, like when I say six, I'm not talking six, I'm talking 60 telev television ratings. We're talking the guy who, like, when he would fight, like, 60% of all of television was watching him in the country. I mean, one of the most, like, beloved and heralded, like, sports personalities. He's this giant, big black man with a big mouth who, like, beat the crap out of people and was just larger than life. And, like, he was like Andre the Giant. Like, he was incredible. Like, people loved him. I mean, he had a fight on um, January 4th against Akabono, who's, like, one of the largest uh, – sumo grand champions of all time they had a kickboxing fight and it like broke every tv record like in history and so i i know he saw that man and he wanted to put the title on him he brought him to new japan and you know they they just pushed him to the moon uh he didn't even really you know because of the fact he was fighting in mma and in kickboxing it wasn't even like he was that regularly there but um you know they put the title on him uh i remember when he won the title he said that he wanted to challenge um, either Hulk Hogan or Akabono, <laughs> <laughs> which I was like, what the crap? And then, um, he ended up losing in a MMA fight. I'm trying to remember exactly who it was too, but I think it might've been to, uh, Fujita. 
and then they took the IWGP title off of him and gave it for, to to Fujita because Fujita beat him in a in a kickboxing or MMA fight. So it was short lived. He wasn't there very long, but uh, you know, for about a two to three year period, I mean, the biggest sports personality in in all of Japan. And when it's so hard to like describe because I don't know if in the states we've ever really had someone to the level of popularity that Bob Sapp was. And that's, this is not me like being hyperbolic. I'm talking like, I mean, I don't know, Jeremy, who who would you say is like one of the biggest sports personalities like in America, like that everybody knows, like, you know, I don't know, like LeBron James. Yeah. I feel like this is like way bigger than LeBron James, honestly, like someone that every, you know, th- like that's the kind of level of, he was a national star, like, you know, what I mean, like it, it's really hard to like describe it, honestly. But uh, yeah, his his run in New Japan sucked. <laughs> it, it, it sucked. Like, you can find this stuff. Um, there's not a lot of Bob Sap on the network. There's a very there's most of it is post his actual run, but you can find a lot of it on like Daily Motion and on the internet. I mean, go ahead and uh, do some research, but it was not good. Most of I I can't think of a single good Bob Sap match that I liked. They're all pretty bad. Then uh, last question here from Danny says, what do you think of Suzuki's comments regarding the need to better distinguish the titles from one another by having them contested differently? I think that it sounded like Suzuki was like on a new Japan podcast, like (laughs) (laughs) the way he was talking about how the title should be contested is like things that we've said. And I've heard other people say, but just don't end up happening. You know, Um, Jeremy, did you see those comments? So I missed those comments. So I don't know exactly what Suzuki was talking. About. What what did he say? Okay, I don't have it in front of me, but he basically said like that the never open weight title should strictly be a title that is contested between juniors and heavyweights. Meaning like it shouldn't just be another secondary title that only heavyweights fight for, but that they should really designate it to that like only junior heavyweight style matches mainly happen. Mm. Yeah, so like if it's if there's a heavyweight holding it, he should be fighting juniors, and if a junior's holding it, he should pretty much be fighting heavyweights, that sort of thing. Gotcha. And give give it more of a de- uh, definition, and then like um, I actually we should probably pull it up because I'm trying to remember what he what his uh arguments were for the um for the other belts also, but he he wanted more like strict defined roles for the other titles as well, like instead of them just being like secondary belts that uh you know guys fight for when they can't hold the the world title that there actually be like um definitions behind it, if that makes sense yeah that doesn't make sense yeah i'm trying to pull up uh his interview here that's on uh, njpw1972.com here i will pull it up um i have it here okay so um he basically said, so what should we do with these titles? Why is the U.S. title called that? Why intercontinental? There are distinctions, right? So we should distinguish. Let's all understand where we're at. The IWGP Heavyweight Championship is the number one belt for everyone. Intercontinental, that should only be between wrestlers from different continents. Mm. Japanese guy versus a European guy. America versus Australia. Whatever. And then, so instead of it just being like a secondary belt, it should actually be strictly for guys from other countries. 
And then the U.S. title should only de be defended in America. And then never just heavyweights versus juniors. That would give us clear distinctions. So I think he's trying to like – and you know what? I think there is – this will never change obviously. But I mean if you really think about it, I mean like that's Naito's whole argument. What is the point of the IC title? If your whole goal, if you're a top guy and you're trying to get to world title level, but then you, you're holding the IC belt, well, why? What are you champion of? Right. You know, like, for instance, if you're a junior champion, you know, you know what you're a champion of. You're the champion of the guys within a certain class of weight. You know what I mean? And if if he were to do what he's kind of supposing, like you hold that belt and then you only defend against guys from other countries – then that that entire like title of it being an intercontinental title actually does hold some true meaning. It's not just a a name that you slap on a belt that really because right now all it really all it really is is number two belt. Right. It's pretty much almost like it has lifted it from like a WWE style thing where your secondary belt right. just just call the intercontinental title. Yeah, it's it's the number two belt and that's what it means, you know. And you know, back in the day in WWE Guys that held that belt, it was a stepping stone belt. And in New Japan, it really isn't right now. Um, I mean, I think these are cool ideas. I just don't know if they work out so well in the real world. <laughs> right. You know, I don't know if, if the kind of booking that Gato wants to do, that these are feasible things that can actually fit into his plans and how he wants to run his company or, or whatever, you know, with his booking. I like these ideas. I think they play out really well if you're like doing like Fire Pro. <laughs> yeah, they're I mean, like cool ideas. Yeah, Suzuki having you know the, the novel concept of the U.S. title to being defended in the U.S. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I mean, I don't know. Yeah, I feel like with the especially with the U.S., he's probably trying to you know angle his way to to winning that title. Like, let me get that belt. I'll I'll defend it in the U.S. <laughs> you know, and the the other thing too is like with the open weight, it's like okay. If if a heavyweight holds it and he's only defending against juniors, isn't he gonna like murk all them pretty much? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I mean, I don't know. I I, I like the idea of there being more distinction. I just don't know how realistic some of these suggestions actually are. Right. But I think it's I think it's worth thinking about, and you know, I think I think Danny brings up a great question. Yeah, and with, with a never title, I definitely don't think it should only be that be that strict. But I definitely, like we've mentioned see more of a mix of juniors kind of challenging and with Shingo as a yeah. champion, this is the, the perfect way to get that started. I just don't like right now that the never title, like I love the never title because it's tied to so many great matches, but you know, it's supposed to be an open weight belt, but instead it's just the brawling belt. You know what I mean? Right. And like the U S belt is just the foreigner belt. And, like, they don't really represent what they're supposed to be. You know, it's just that's the belt you hold if you're a foreigner, you know. The IC belt's just a secondary belt. And it, it it does get to a point where, like, sometimes right now it does feel like maybe there are too many titles. But if there was some sort of special significance given to the titles and a reason that they exist, they might be more prestigious. And people might have more compelling reasons for wanting them other than just their gold strap. Right. Well, and then maybe we have more reasons to care when people are fighting for them. So, yeah, I like those ideas. Yeah, I like them, too. And uh, that's going to wrap up 
for the questions. Now we're going to move on to recommended match of the week. Like we mentioned, uh, before we give this week's match, um, last week Josh gave his match, and I'm going to give my thoughts on that match. So I did watch the uh, the battle formation matchup there with uh, Hashimoto going for the IWGP title against, was it Takeda? Is that how you say his name? Nobuhiko Takata. Takata. Okay, so I did watch that match, and it was a very good match. I mean, that crowd was just so electric, so hype. And they were hyped for, like, the basic stuff. Like, they yes. uh, they weren't out there. There was, there was no Destroyers, no Poison Ranas, no Topes. <laughs> like, they were out there just doing some basic wrestling. They told a story of Takata wanting to lock that arm bar in a lot of the match was him trying to work that arm bar. And at the same time, Hashimoto was trying to work, get the brain buster. That was his big move. And literally anytime Hashimoto got on offense, the crowd freaking lost their mind. Just just for a chop to 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 Takata, the crowd was losing their mind. Anytime Hashimoto got on offense or escaped a submission, fought off the arm bar, they were right there with him. And then Every time he went for the brain buster and got close, the crowd was like on the edge of their seat until he finally got the brain buster at the end and won the match. Yeah, and you know I gotta uh, make a correction there. I said that that uh, Takata had won the title like a month prior, but it actually was uh, on January fourth when he won that belt. It was at you know the, the Tokyo Dome on January fourth when he beat Kijimuto. So. He was like four months into his reign, basically, at this point. Almost five by the time this match happened. So, um, but yeah, I rewatched it for the first time in like almost a decade. And I mean, it's just so crazy how like these guys literally were able to like enthrall a crowd with just like kicks, strikes. And, you know, the style of match that they're working was like they weren't doing trades like how we're accustomed to seeing in New Japan today where it's like one guy strikes, one guy strikes back. They were like... If someone landed, they were selling it like it was death. <laughs> mm-hmm, yeah. So, like, if Takata started kicking, like, Hashimoto's legs, it wasn't like Hashimoto was going to muster through it. He was, like, going down. And, like, if Hashimoto started, like, chopping Takata, Takata was screwed. Like, so these guys were, like, it was very interesting how they are like, so cautious, and then they would explode. And it was, like, they were so close to finishing each other so many different different times. And every time they got, like, a submission – it was like that was about to be it. Like you could tell, like they were so close to finishing each other. So, to- like that was kind of the style of Hashimoto's wrestling back then. It was much more like fight oriented, very different from what you see in like New Japan today. But uh, I loved the way he fought for like Takata, like sandbagged on the freaking brainbuster. Yeah, and Hashimoto just like muscled him up and then just still dropped him on his freaking dome. <laughs> Uh, it's just a really great match. Um, I know it's so different from like what you see today, but if you had to give a rating, what, where would you give it modern eyes? Oh man, that that's hard. Um, I think I, uh, I don't know, maybe like four stars. That's what, that's what Dave gave it. Okay. Yeah. So I, I think I agree with you. I'd probably go four. honestly. I think it's interesting with this. I just want to kind of see like when you give me a rating, I'll give you like my, you know, cause we have different tastes and takes on, on this stuff. So, you know, I like to see like, if you're watching something older, like what, what your modern take might be on it, you know? Yeah. 
But awesome. So um, what do you got for me this week? So the recommended match for this week comes from the 2015 New Japan Cup Finals, which is the Golden Star Kota Ibushi versus Mr. New Japan Cup himself, Hiroki Goto. I think I really like this match. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Have you watched this match? Yeah, I watched it this weekend after I watched the Hashimoto match, and uh, I loved it, man. It's Goto and Ibushi just kind of having a almost a strong style type of matchup, just a lot of strikes and going hard at each other, and yeah, it ended up being a great match. Yeah, I'm after. I'll 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 watch it this week. I do know that this leads to his challenge. against uh okada where he wears all the kanji um no this is abushi winning and challenging aj styles oh you're right you're right you're right this is where okay sorry about that scratch all that (laughs) yeah so this is where this is where abushi basically wins the cup and yeah he challenges aj and then we get the 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 whole the stare down with him and uh omega okay Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah, this match is pretty awesome, but uh, I'll watch it this week, and then I'll give you guys a report. Nice. Well, that's going to wrap up the show for this week. Next week, we'll be back with our review of all four four Cork and Hall shows. Uh, maybe we'll have a special guest to uh, help us review all four of those shows. Uh, we'll talk about it off the air, but yeah, we'll be back with those four Cork and Hall, show, Hall shows review next week. And yeah, that's going to wrap things up. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media, on Twitter. I'm at Jeremy L. Donovan. The show is at KI Strong Style. You can also follow us at Social Suplex. On Facebook, we're facebook.com slash social suplex. Also in the Facebook group, the Wrestling Squared Circle, facebook.com slash group slash Wrestling Squared Circle. On Instagram, we are at Social Suplex. On Reddit, I am the Pro Black Guy, and Josh is keeping a strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. On Sundays, we have One Nation Radio, hosted by Rich Lada and James Boyd. On Wednesdays, we have the Ricky and Clive Wrestling Show from Scotland. Every other Wednesday, we have our podcast dedicated to independent wrestling. Grown Men Watch This Shit, hosted by Jeremy Tate and Chris Bryan. On Fridays, we have Get In The Ring with Danny and Beast Mike. And on Saturdays, we have All Things Elite with Floyd, Amy, and Tiffany. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace ace of podcasts. podcasts. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.